You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to the Composite Two-Star Recruits, a USC recruiting podcast where a couple of one-star hosts talk about five, four, and three-star prospects and everything in between. I am your one-star host, Chris Trevino. And as always, I am joined my, by my partner, my partner, my podcasting partner in crime. I, I usually don't stumble over that part, but today is where I stumbled a little bit. But we're going to get into a really good show. But I have a little special treat introducing Gerard Martinez, the legendary Gerard Martinez. So, fans, when you're listening, are you ready for... Gerard, Hurricane, welcome. You actually stumbled over the opening because you were thinking. I, about I was that. so excited. I was so excited. The pressure of pressing that button. I don't care about the intro. All I wanted was to nail that. I didn't even nail the intro to that. I don't care. It's so perfect. I came in an hour early. Ryan showed me how to set it up. And it's beautiful. I love it. I have three more that I've added, so I'm going to do them all. They don't even all fit in this show, but I'm just going to do them because I love them. What is that even from? Uh, Dodgeball. Dodgeball, okay. All right. I don't know the reference in Dodgeball. I remember the movie, but I don't remember that reference. Are you ready for the hurricane? Are you ready for the hurricane? Okay. All right. You ready for the hurricane? Sure that isn't the NCAA? Talking to uh, their billionaire booster. <laughs> uh, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't I'm know. What talking you're talking about, about NIL. I'm talking about collectives. The NCAA. We didn't actually put this on the docket, but the NCAA is uh, supposedly starting to investigate and ask for interviews of people uh, within the Miami University athletic program because of some of their collective deals, and I guess they reached out to. Uh, Mr. Ruiz, who is a billionaire donor for the Miami Hurricanes. And so he says, hey, I've got nothing to hide. And that ended up uh, being a little bit of a talking point over the weekend. I guess you missed it while you were in Las Vegas winning thousands of dollars. George, you're going off script already. And we have just the most packed show we've ever done. I, I don't know. I don't know how you're selling oh, man, that. Hurricanes just, don't have scripts, man. You only have forecasts. I guess. You know what? You're right. You know what? You're right. But I have to reel you in a little bit as Doppler of this uh, this podcast. We, we talked about that last week. Your hurricane. I'm Doppler. Doppler radar actually invented by someone named Christian. So I think it works all together. But we have a lot to get through today. I'm not exaggerating. We have to talk about. This past official visitor weekend with uh, your June 10th through 12 visitors, we have a new commitment to talk about. Uh, Tobias Raymond, three-star offensive tackle from Ventura High School. He committed off his official visit. We have to talk about, obviously, you mentioned me going to Vegas for the overtime 027 tournament, which, which has a, which was a packed uh, field of uh, teams from all over the country and a bunch of stacked players on teams. Malachi Nelson was out there. He led his team to the championship. We're going to talk that talk about that. You and Ryan were out at USC's uh, first elite camp under Lincoln Riley. I did do air quotes because I know you're going to want to talk about it. 
And then that's not even the the main course of today's podcast. We have to talk about the greatest, biggest, most star-studded USC recruiting visit weekend in the history of USC football. I, I don't think I'm being I don't think I'm overselling that. You said that this is the biggest one you've ever seen. So I'm gonna go ahead and assume that this is the biggest one in history. We're gonna we're gonna preview this uh this weekend's visitors, which is like at least 20 deep right now. There'll be probably more that are added. There'll be probably some that don't make it, but we're gonna figure it all out. We have them broken down into tiers we're gonna talk about just as a way to to make it more manageable for this preview. So we have a lot to get to. Gerard, are you excited or are you terrified? On both. Because you okay. know, you can okay. have nervous energy about the anticipation of the onslaught of recruits that are going to be on campus. I also fear for the carts. I feel like in all of this, we talk about the support staff and the coaching staff, but what about the carts? No one thinks about the carts. Nobody thinks about the carts and the carts could break down this weekend. And then where are you? And we were talking about it at rising stars because you were actually counting carts, not counting cards, counting carts. It has how, how prepared they were. I'm going to tell you, they didn't have enough carts for, for the number of bodies that are coming in this weekend. We were talking no about way. there has to no be way. some no US. Way. I mean, you're thinking about you're thinking about the host, you're thinking about the families, you're thinking about the kids themselves, and then the staff that's gotta be on the cart to drive them to know where they're going on campus. They didn't they had what well, we caught we counted almost 20, but if you're gonna have 20 visitors, man, what about the carts, Chris? What about the carts? How many carts do they need? Just give me the number. Probably, they probably need almost double that amount of carts, I would think. So we're thinking like 40, 50 carts at minimum? Yeah, like, I don't know. I mean, I know this is not going to be everybody on campus doing the same thing at the same time. There's going to be sort of two groups that overlap a bit. But, yeah, I don't know. That's going to be wild. I was just thinking about the traffic that's going to be on campus around Heritage Hall and the McKay Center, man. You're going to have to put up stoplights with all these carts full of families and kids going every which way. And you're going to have Salute to Troy, what, Saturday night? So, yeah. Oh, my goodness. I forgot about that. Oh, yeah. Let's just, hey, man, bring the bring the chaos, man. Bring it all. If you're going to bring 10 guys, why not bring 25 guys? So that's what they're doing. The, hey, man, the coaches, the sports staff, they're just embracing it, man. They're like, hey, let's go all in and just see how crazy we can make it. And, um, you know, it might just turn out to be amazing. Chaotic words from a chaotic man named Hurricane. And even though Gerard's excitement talking about that uh, this June 16th weekend, that is not our cold open. No, we're we're starting off, you know, we're doing the appetizer before we get to the main course of that uh, preview. But we're talking about this past weekend's official visitor uh, docket and sort of recapping what we learned, what we heard, what happened after USC hosted four prospects on campus, Tobias Raymond, who obviously committed the the offensive tackle out of Ventura High School, Grant Bucky, who took his official visit, defensive lineman, Stanford Legacy, actually picked up a crystal ball, but we're going to talk about that with crystal ball stock market. Uh, the big fish, linebacker Tackett Curtis uh, out of Louisiana. He moved his visit from this weekend to, to last weekend as a, as a because he wanted to get a more intimate experience with the coaches and you know have more one-on-one time. And then 
Kate Eldridge, the three-star athlete, tight end prospect out of Washington. So small group, uh, an important group. And, you know, that happened. We got some visitor updates all, all through the weekend and had stories and interviews with them and obviously reacted to Tobias committing. So, Gerard, where do you want to jump in first with the June 10th visitor recap? Well, getting an offensive line commit is always good. You know, USC was really late to the offer table a bit with Tobias Raymond. And, you know, he was going to visit, I believe it was a June 24th weekend, which is mm-hmm. kind of sparsely populated right now. There's a couple guys that might visit that weekend. So we've been kind of trying to figure out, all right, they're going to have uh, another camp uh, that weekend. And so, you know, they're probably not going to have a ton of visitors, but he bumped his visit up to this past weekend it seemed like this was like a bump weekend because (laughs) the guys that originally were scheduled for the june 10th weekend didn't show up they canceled their visits uh you know week of week before and then the guys that ended up on campus tackett curtis who you mentioned uh raymond and uh, grant bucky as well they all were actually scheduled for other weekends and they ended up visiting this weekend so usc gets his first offensive tackle commit uh 250 pounds six seven got a lot of frame a lot of potential, uh, but certainly a guy that's going to have to fill out and isn't an immediate impact type player for USC. But uh, Brandon Huffman had some great insight. Uh, he went to Ventura High School and so had uh, some really good background on Tobias Raymond yeah. and some stuff you should check out. Uh, if you're, you know, subscribe, jump on the Peristyle and check out that thread. He didn't really write a story about it. It was just sort of more personal background, which uh, was uh, really cool, really interesting stuff uh, about Tobias Raymond. We're still trying to get Tobias Raymond on the phone to actually talk about his commitment. Sometimes these guys, they commit and they're just not interested in talking about it. You know, that's um, I don't know if that's just a sign of the times or what have you. I remember the first time that I called a commit and I was dumbfounded that I could not get any reply from him at all was Peter McBride, the long snapper. Do you remember Peter McBride, Chris? Never have I heard that name in my life. Peter McBride was a long snapper that actually got a scholarship offer from USC. Now, those were the Coach Baxter days, so you were... You you called a long snapper? I called a long snapper, yeah. he got Well, he had a scholarship offer. This was not a preferred walk-on. This was a guy that actually got a scholarship as a long snapper, and... I don't know why I'm judging you. I I interviewed Damon Johnson when he got a scholarship offer. So there you go. There you go. But that was back in the days when, you know, uh, John Baxter was offering, you know, two punters and a long snapper in each recruiting class. And yeah, that was when it was like, wow, times are changing. When (laughs) the two star, two star recruit, he could have been on the podcast. We we might have to try to reach out to him. Now, I, I think he did not. He did not finish out at USC. I, I believe mm. there was some stuff that happened and he ended up not graduating from USC. I don't want to say he didn't graduate because I'm not 100% sure, but I don't think he finished out his days on the football team, if I recall. But uh, Peter McBride was a guy that I called who I thought, I mean, it's a long snapper. Nobody ever talks to long snappers. He's going to be excited to talk about his commitment right. to USC and you know, this will be a great story. And nope. <laughs> no, I don't know if anybody you got big time, any media outlet ever talked to, to Peter McBride, but that was when it sort of hit me. So at this point, we have not actually spoken to Tobias Raymond post visit, but he put up something on Twitter and his commit. And so uh, that's the first offensive lineman uh, for USC. And I think, uh, Gerard, I think fans just want to know about their new offensive line commit. 
Can he play? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I don't know. I've never seen him play in person, to be perfectly honest with you. I mean, just watching film, I think there's ability there. I think you've got the frame. Uh, It's a guy that you'd love to see camp, right? Like, we'd love to see him at one of the elite camps, some type of uh, event. And, you know, probably previous to where maybe he showed up to something, you really don't watch him because he didn't have a scholarship offer. He really wasn't on the radar. Um, But now, you know, we'd like to just see him in person. I think with linemen, it's always important to see him in person just to see wingspan and just in terms of how they move and how big they really are. That's always very important with offensive linemen. Um, In fact, I talked about that with Grant Bucky, who also officially visited this past weekend um, because we were talking about star ratings. And I said, you know, with the linemen, and COVID, that hits them harder because there's a whole season that people just really didn't see anybody, and you're not seeing the growth development of those linemen. You're not seeing how they've gotten bigger and gotten stronger, and Grand Bucky has some really good weight room numbers behind him, and he's very good on film. He's got very good bloodlines. You know, his father played at Stanford and went on and, and got drafted in the NFL and, and got a cup, in the, a cup of coffee in the NFL, played I think it was three years for the Miami Dolphins and then a year somewhere else. So that's the guy that's uh, another player. It's another lineman, another big body, um, certainly a little higher up in terms of rankings and what people think about him. But being up in Bakersfield, kind of a weird sort of middle ground between Central California and Southern California. So not a lot of people get up there to go see uh, Liberty High School play. And that's, I think, the biggest hurdle from him being a three-star to a four-star. But he also officially visited USC. And, um, you know, I think USC is in a very good place for him. Uh, Talk to him a little bit after his official visit. Uh, We're going to see if, um, you know, he takes another official visit. At this point, I'd be surprised if he officially visited Cal. Cal, he's got scheduled for the 24th. I think there's a potential that he makes a decision before the 24th. And that would explain sort of the crystal ball, crystal ball stock market because he has picked up. Brandon Huffman did put in a pick for him and a couple more have come in as well. So USC trending in the right direction for uh, Grant Bucky, another defensive lineman. And very similar to Baj Raymond also picked up some crystal balls uh, from Brandon Huffman and others a couple days before he, he eventually popped on his commitment. But Gerard, I want to circle back to Raymond. Everyone loves Raymond. Everyone wants to hear about Tobias. I, I watched the film. I'm sure you did as well. It's not a super long highlight film. It's like just under three minutes, but obviously you can tell the guy needs to put on some weight. 250 pounds. He looks like 250 pounds, but he also looks legit six foot seven on film. And obviously the thing that I, that jumps out to me or that and that jumps out on the tape is that this guy looks like he plays with a super nasty mean streak. I mean, it's the highlight tape, obviously, so every clip is is going to be uh, beneficial. It, it, it makes him look good. But he's basically, on every snap, kind of putting someone in the dirt. He's playing through the whistle. Just, just I see that violence in him. And it was really a fun tape to watch, even though it was kind of short. But those are the kind of things that I like to see when I'm watching the offensive line film, because I've watched some offensive line film, and... I just want I just want to grab them and like put that guy in the bleachers, you know, and Raymond, those are kind of the things that are popping out when you look at him. Obviously, great frame. He's the typical kind of West Coast uh, offensive line body that you've talked about. and We've talked about on the show, just not as developed as those guys in terms of weight. 
they uh, like the SEC guys, they need more time to develop and grow. And I think USC's got a really, really nice project here, raw, but I think a lot of potential. Get him in that weight room, throw 50 pounds on him, you know, get him into that 310, 320 range. And I think you're going to have a guy who's going to be able to start for you in a couple seasons. In one year, probably not. Two years, yeah, we can start to think about him, you know, moving into that too deep and maybe contending for one of those tackle spots. But I really like the pickup. Guy's got some nastiness to him. Just need to get him in the weight room, and I think they got a, a, a nice gem here. And Brandon Huffman said as much, you know, if this was a guy who was playing at a bigger program, he'd probably have 20-plus offers right now, but coaches aren't really going out into that Ventura area as much. So I think he's an underrated guy, kind of a diamond in the rough that, you know, a couple years are going to kind of really see if USC can really get that development going for, for uh, Tobias Raymond. Yeah, everybody wants to know, is he going to be Chad Wheeler 2.0? Mm-hmm. And that's the question because Chad came out of high school about 250, 255. Chad was a vegan out of high school too, which made it even harder for him Fascinating. to put on that weight. But he played volleyball and he was really pretty good, uh, a two sport athlete. And so, you know, I knew a little more about him before USC went and offered him and he committed. Uh, don't know as much about Tobias Raymond in terms of the other sports. Um, that he plays, like I said, he really just sort of popped up on the radar uh, earlier this month, really kind of the end of May. He's a May evaluation guy. I mean, this is a, one of those guys that USC went out, they saw him in person, and they decided, hey, we want to pull the trigger on this kid. So there is something to be said for that, that it wasn't just a scholarship offer made on watching film. It was a scholarship offer from Josh Henson actually seeing him in person and saying, you know what? I think we want to go on this guy. There's a couple guys that were supposed to be coming in this weekend for official visits that ended up committing to other schools. Elijah Page being one of those guys. So you have to sort of, you know, move your board around a little bit. And this was uh, where Tobias Raymond came in. Yeah, absolutely. You, you, you see the, the, the board changing and growing. Obviously, Amos Talele, he obviously committed to Cal. You know, you could debate about what side of the ball they saw him on, but that's another lineman off the board. And then obviously Elijah Page going to Notre Dame. They they made a new offer out. We're going to talk about him a little more down the show. We got a question about him. And Caleb Lomu, four-star offensive tackle out of Arizona. You know, that sort of feels like USC kind of moving down their board and saying, okay, we got to kind of move somebody up because Elijah Page is gone now. So Lomu felt like the the, the offer for them at that position because it's a four-star guy. Again, we're going to talk a little bit about him, but – you know, it, it just means a lot. I know a lot of the, the, the pair style and the fans were happy just to finally get some some beef going in this 2023 class. Getting that first guy on the board, obviously it's not a super, you know, marquee name, but it's a guy you need in a class. You know, your, your class can't all be five stars. You take these three stars to build. These are foundational guys, the guys that are going to take a couple seasons. Guys, you, you trust your, your scouting and your development. Trust your weight room and trust that, you know, Josh Henson, who has a track record with de- with developing these kind of three-star guys under the radar guys into high-level college football offensive linemen. You know, he had a first-round pick last year. as a guy projected to go first-round this year at Texas A&M. So Henson has that, that, that track record. And if he likes him, I think uh, USC fans got to be in a position where, like, we're all in on Tobias Raymond because the staff, Lincoln Riley, they wanted him. So he must be pretty good. And so I think they, they're they really high on him. 
and just obviously hearing what Huffman had to say about sort of his character and kind of the things he's overcome and gone through. I think Tobias Raymond is becoming, you know, a fan favorite on this board. But I did see a question or a topic about, and this is a question we're, we're getting a lot and have gotten a lot, is why do you think USC has been sort of slow in the recruiting front when it comes to trench guys like defensive linemen and uh, offensive linemen? Do you feel like you have a pulse or a read on kind of why, you know, USC linemen aren't like walking through the door to commit to USC? I feel like it's just maybe they're going after some high-end guys and high-end guys aren't going to commit super early. You know, they're going to take their time like a guy like Francis or a guy like Lucas. They're just going to take their time. Yeah. Are we speaking in terms of this cycle or are we talking about the last three, four cycles? Because I, I think I think it's mainly this recruiting staff like Josh Henson, Sean Nua, and just like recruiting under a trench – Got trench guys under Lincoln Riley, not specifically sort of the last couple cycles or whatever. Well, I can't speak to trench guys under Lincoln Riley just because I don't follow Oklahoma and how they're recruiting when Oklahoma, I think they recruited very well on the offensive line in Oklahoma, but obviously that's a different offensive line coach at a different school here with USC. I just think that first and foremost, I mean, we can't overlook the fact that USC has not been nationally relevant. For a long time and they were running an air raid offense which was very easy for Oregon specifically to negatively recruit against USC and say why do you want to go play in the air raid that's a college offense that's not going to prepare you for the NFL what we are doing is preparing you for the NFL running a more balanced offense Oregon's offense wasn't an NFL offense but nevertheless it still was an offense that had way more run and that's what offensive linemen really like to do. They like to run block. No offensive lineman wants to sit back on his heels and pass block 50 times a game. That's not what they want. They want to bring the hurt. They don't want to sit there back on their heels and have to deal with a bunch of speed rushers who know there's no run game. So all I got to do is attack this offensive lineman and you're trying to pick up blitzes. There's just more opportunity for you to look bad. There's going to be more holding you're just an unbalanced offense, and that's what USC has had the past few years. And so, in general, that's what you're coming away from. And you're still trying to change the minds of those kids who have been told you don't go to USC because you're never going to be able to run block. And so, I think that's a big issue that is still a hurdle and still an obstacle for this staff to overcome and they're not going to overcome it until you get in the next season and you actually run the ball successfully. Mm -hmm. So I think balance scheme is part of it certainly hasn't been NFL production because USC has done pretty good job. Even the old staff. I mean, you had Austin Jackson and Elijah Vera Tucker both go in the first round. You had Elijah Vera Tucker playing guard and Clay McGuire moves him over to offensive tackle and he actually plays well as an offensive tackle. That's a lot to show for. I mean, that's a lot more to show for on the offensive line development and draft standpoint than Oregon does from a draft development standpoint at wide receiver. And yet Oregon was recruiting really well at wide receiver. And USC, for whatever reason, has not been able to recruit well, really well on the offensive line. Now, Oregon on the offensive line, of course, you had Mario Cristobal, head coach, former offensive line coach. So I think that hurt USC a lot. Oregon was getting all those West Coast offensive linemen. So USC was pushed into trying to go to Texas 
and compete with the Texas schools, LSU, Ohio State, everybody that recruits Texas, which is nationally a lot of different schools. So, you know, from that standpoint, I think it very it much hurt them trying to get offensive linemen. You can't just go and reinvent yourself in some other state and think you're going to get a bunch of good offensive linemen. You do have to develop that locally and you have to go from the ground up and you have to go from the standpoint of evaluating guys, regardless of whether they're four stars or five stars or three stars or two stars, find guys that can play for you. And some of those guys might be development guys. Some of those guys you might have to have in the program for a couple of years before they can really contribute. And you know what? And I've said this before. Maybe you get a couple guys here and there that are not going to be all Pac-12 players for you. Maybe they're not going to be all Americans. Maybe they're just going to be mortar guys. Going back to that philosophy of brick and mortar, they're guys that you bring in that are guys that really don't play a whole lot until maybe their junior or even senior years. But I think over-recruiting the offensive line is sort of a lost art in the Pac-12. Everybody wants the skill players, but nobody wants to have a couple, maybe two or three guards that are on your roster that really don't do a lot outside of scout team. But I think because of offensive line and how physical that position is, and this goes to some extent to the defensive line as well, you do need those players because you end up in spring ball and you've got seven guys on your offensive line because you didn't recruit any depth because you refuse to go after guys that are not going to be top tier guys, right? You refuse to go after the guys that you know may just contribute to your program within your program and not necessarily outwardly on Saturday. So I'm a big fan of the evaluation of offensive linemen. And if those guys are 250 pounds, 240 pounds, we've seen so many of those players ended up getting drafted. I mean, that's on the other side of it is if you go up to Washington State and you look at some of those guys that they have drafted over the past few years, some of those guys were coming out of high school and they were only 260 pounds. So on the West Coast, you're not going to get the ready-made 350-pound 6'6 athlete that you have to trim some weight off of to get them in the lineup. It's vice versa. You're going to have to build them up within the weight room. And quite frankly, that's easier to do. It's easier to build that weight on as long as the player has that frame and he can hold that weight. The nine times out of ten, it's not going to be a big deal to be able to put that weight on, and you're putting it on the right way as opposed to trying to shed 20, 30 pounds, uh, sort of like you've seen with Maximus Gibbs, where you bring in a guy that's you know 360, 380, and Max's you know, situation is probably closer to 400, but you bring in a guy that's overweight, and you have to trim him down and get his eating habits down to where he's at a playing weight where he's still agile and he's able to uh, be flexible and he's able to contribute here. You're just building a player up that's coming out of high school at 260, 270. I mean, I think with Tobias Raymond, you're still going to get a guy that probably is 270 by the time he leaves high school. So I wouldn't necessarily think that, you know, you have to actually put on 50 pounds, 60 pounds in order for him to be able to play for USC. Great points. And I, I threw that up to you, that question about, you know, offensive line recruiting and the trenches, just because I just wanted to walk back some of the USC fans from the ledge. It's going to take a little bit more time to to recruit, you know, those defensive linemen and those offensive linemen. Then go out and get quarterbacks and wide receivers and quarterbacks all day. But it's going to take a little bit more time, a little more trust, a little more faith to get that the, the offensive line flowing. And obviously, 
I think it's a really good start. You know, grabbing a guy like Tobias Raymond, the first the first domino to fall, as I think I put it on uh, social media. Uh, jumping back to crystal ball, crystal ball stock market, Kate Eldridge was a guy that I think we probably had number one in our power rankings of guys who could probably commit after this weekend. But what we've seen is sort of the opposite in terms of didn't obviously pull the trigger on a commitment, but he did actually pick up a crystal ball flip, I believe it was a flip, to Oregon. So the Washington uh, tight end prospect is now projected to go to Oregon. So a, a change of, of heart uh, for this prospect. And obviously this is what happens in June recruiting. Guys take visits. Guys have leaders. Guys have teams that surge up. And it seems like the Ducks are now moving into position for Kate Eldridge uh, as opposed to USC. And I don't think that should be necessarily a big worry just because I think USC is going to be fine recruiting tight ends. You know, obviously they're still recruiting Walker Lyons and Deuce Robinson. Both those guys will be on campus this weekend for their officials. I don't think USC is going to have any problem attracting tight ends, especially what Lincoln does in this this offense, much like he has his track record in uh, recruiting wide receivers. Pass catchers are not going to be issue. Got two more coming on campus this weekend in Deuce and Walker. So I don't think USC fans are really worried about that one. But it was an interesting little flip to see coming off that official. Yeah, I think we felt it was probably going to be Oregon and USC. USC had the crystal ball, and they may still have a crystal ball from Brandon Huffman. But I think the feeling from them now post-USC visit, and we have not talked to Kate Eldridge, Brandon Huffman did, that's his guy, is that Oregon is probably still the team to beat. So after the official visit, if you get that notion, then more than likely he's headed to Oregon. That's the feeling right now. I think it's debatable whether you would say that Kate Eldridge was really plan A. I think he was almost uh, plan B without having seen what happens with plan A. In other words, plan A has to be Walker Lyons, Deuce Robinson, and potentially you might even have Nicholas Harbor in that conversation as well. The issue is with all three of those players, you have potential forks in the road as to whether they're going to play football or not. With Deuce Robinson, you have baseball. With Walker Lyons, you have his mission, which he wants to take out of high school. And with Nicholas Harbor, you have track and field. So a guy like Kate Eldridge comes in, and he's a nice supplement to whatever happens to one or two of those other players that you may bring in. They have the lead for Deuce Robinson. I think they're in a very good spot with Walker Lions. Nick Harbour is hard to read. I think that USC is definitely within striking distance. I hesitate to say that they lead for him or they're the favorite for him. I think that's recruitment is going to be interesting and it probably will go down to the wire uh, from listening to Nick Harbour talk about the process. Uh, so I think with Kate Eldridge, it was sort of a formulated plan B, but also a part of plan A. It was, you know, we might lose one of these guys, not lose them outright, but lose them to another sport or the fact that maybe Walker Lyons is not going to be on campus right away. We'd love to have another big body, 6'4", 235 pounds, um, that can come in and be another guy on the roster who will be there next uh, year, not next season, but next year, 2000. 
23. So that's why I think that comes into play. Um, it's interesting, you know, the potential reasons for him going to Oregon over USC. It sounds uh, more as if it's just closer to home and it might be just a better vibe for him in terms of personality. He took an unofficial visit to USC earlier in the spring and loved Los Angeles. But now I think with this family involved, that sounds like, you know, now they're really getting to the serious talk of can you really leave? And sometimes it's not about the prospect leaving home. He can leave home. It's about the family giving him up and allowing him to leave home. You got to understand if you haven't been a part of a four-star, three-star, you know, a national recruits recruitment and career in football, it's such a family oriented thing. There's so many people that are there as a part of that support system that are around. You've got high school coaches, you've got former coaches, you've got family friends, uncles, grandparents, and everybody's a part of that journey. And sometimes, you know, they, they're used to weekend and week out going to some event that has to do with this young man's journey through middle school, high school, going into college and not having that anymore. I mean, your life changes completely as a parent, as a family member that no longer have that every weekend going somewhere based around, you know, this person's athletic career. And now they're gone to LA and it's like, what do we do now? You know, sometimes there's other kids in the family and that can pick up, but you know, it's, it's definitely something when it gets down to the nitty gritty and decision time where the family starts to make, you know, their feelings known a little more and it definitely can sway recruitments toward the end. Somebody on the message board posted and I, I had to kind of laugh. It sounds like Kate Eldred's reasoning for committing to Oregon are uh, the real reasons why he's committing to Oregon or would commit to Oregon as opposed to the fake reasons that Josh Connerly used. So I had to kind of laugh at that in terms of, uh, you know, Eugene being a lot like Seattle and being closer to home, uh, which seems legitimately more of what Kate Eldridge is looking at and would probably speak to him uh, a little more. He did have that interesting quote in his, uh, his uh, recap with, uh, with Brandon Huffman and that he said, and I quote, Los Angeles seemed a lot cleaner than I imagined it. This was surprising and made me think Los Angeles, which was an interesting quote. Obviously, he is, like you mentioned, coming from a smaller kind of rural town in Washington. And his recruitment actually sort of reminds me of uh, Keith Keith Olsen, the offensive tackle that USC had committed last season. Uh, he ended up not you know, making the cut for the class, but he was from a smaller town. And I think going into his visit, I think there was, you know, concerns that maybe – L.A. was a little bit too big for him, a little too busy, you know, coming from where he was, very similar to Eldridge. And but then he sort of made the surprising decision to actually, you know, go against those concerns or, or these notions that, you know, maybe a small town kid wouldn't fit in Los Angeles. And he really seemed to like it. I think the quote he told me is that I, I liked it a lot more than I thought I would. So that that is something to think about. And it seems like Eldridge is obviously maybe leaning a little against that in terms of, you know, maybe not ready for the big city and maybe looking more toward uh, Oregon again. And that's not something like definite that, that I know or that we know of. It's just that it, I just saw that as an interesting compare uh, comparison between Keith Olson, who was a one-time USC commit and then Eldridge also coming from a small town. 
And finally, the biggest of fish that was on campus last week was the top 100 Maney Louisiana linebacker Tackett Curtis, who, you know, if you're talking to me, I'm saying is obviously one of those top five prospects USC is going after right now on the recruiting board in terms of need, in terms of talent, in terms of, you know, overhauling that defense. Tackett Curtis is a piece you want on your sideline and in your defensive meetings. And, you know, he came in. We've talked about it numerous times on the show. He was scheduled to come in this weekend. But him and his camp, they wanted, you know what? We've done the big visits. We've done the big visits to Oklahoma under Lincoln Riley. We know this is going to be a massive visit. But we want a more intimate experience. We want more one-on-one time with the coaches, with the strength and conditioning staff, with everyone. We have all these questions that need to be answered and things we want to talk about in detail. And I don't think we're going to get it when we have 24 other guys, including a handful of other really, really big prospects like Tackett. So I think they moved it up to this weekend. And, you know, I was sort of on that Tackett Curtis beat uh, over the weekend. And from what I was hearing from sources, you know, USC handled their business on this visit. They hit a home run. You know, they had a really nice, great presentation almost almost two hours, you know, with kind of Benny Wiley and that strength staff and the nutrition staff and that training staff. And they really, really hit on development in terms of, you know, obviously gaining weight and getting strength and getting him ready for, you know, the next level, which is obviously something that USC has not done a really good job of or inconsistently with defensive players over the last several seasons. That was the big thing. And I mentioned that in my my visit update that strength and conditioning was a huge thing for Tackett to come away with impressed on this visit. And I think they did that. They absolutely did that. And obviously I talked about how the NIL presentation was one of the best that they've seen from the schools. Actually the quote was it's the best they've seen in any of those schools. So they did a lot of eye opening on this visit for Tackett and his family and his camp and Coming in, you know, I've been very optimistic about Tackett. I know you've been a little bit more pessimistic, but I think USC was in this top group going in, you know, with Wisconsin and uh, 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 Ohio State. Sorry, I had a little brain aneurysm there. And I think they just locked themselves in to be one of those final two after this visit. That's that's the feeling I'm getting. So I think it's going to come down to 50-50 for whoever that other finalist is going to be for Tackett. So, you know, they love L.A. The visit was a success. Scott, Ohio State, this coming weekend, that's going to be sort of their big weekend. So he's going to be in a much larger group. So it's going to be an interesting uh, comparison of, of visit styles in terms of getting that more intimate and towards getting that, that like the energy visit where you have everyone on campus commit, kind of saying like, oh, ride the momentum. So it's going to be an interesting clash there. Don't count out Wisconsin. And, you know, this one's going to be a fight to the end in, for, in July. But I think USC did enough to lock in their place at the table with the final two. Yeah. And you said, you know, you're piss on piss on all of it, Gerard. Do it a little more optimistic than I am. Uh, you are for sure. Uh, for sure. A good it's going to get it's, it's going to get me burnt. I know it, I'm, but it's fine. I'm, I'm not sure. Um you know, how to gauge optimism, but I think Ohio State is the team to beat. Are they still the team to beat coming away from that official visit? Oh, it's hard. I don't talk to him. You know, I haven't talked to uh, Tackett Curtis um, directly. 
after his visit. So it's hard to gauge, you know, the nuance of sort of how much he really liked that visit. Um, I think that USC has a lot of great things to offer, but there is certainly more of a proven commodity there on Ohio State's uh, their pitch, you know, as to what they were going to do with him development-wise and uh, what they've done with other players in the NFL. And I think ultimately at that high level with those type of top 100 recruits, that just plays a big factor. So Ohio State's going to get their chance. And like you said, it's a completely different approach in terms of the visit and the atmosphere and environment around the official visit. It was very quiet on campus last weekend. Uh, USC did have the elite camp, which was a bit strange to see <laughs> Coach Odom out there. And he had to take, you know, three hours out of his time to go coach and then couldn't really entertain or talk to those recruits much after the camp because, you know, he had to go back and meet up with Tackett Curtis and his family. So it's interesting um, how this all sort of plays out and, uh, you know, where USC sits, I think, after he takes all these visits. I do think Ohio State is still, if I had to put money on it, I would put money on Ohio State. But he made it here with his family and uh, I think maybe even his coach. He had quite a few people on campus with him. And certainly he's looking at USC seriously. And I think USC is top two right now. But it's one of those things that he's a guy that, you know, you're pushing that sort of uh, – that line of, you know, buying into the program and what it is right now and trying to bury what it has been, you know, and, and the, the, the deficiencies. And, and that's one of those things that when you're leaving Louisiana to go somewhere and you're going out of state, um, the uncertainty always creeps in there as to, you know, is, is Lincoln Riley really going to be able to turn the table and turn the tide at USC or is Ohio State just going to continue to do what they've been doing? And it's a, a, a lot easier to buy into Ohio State's just going to keep on being Ohio State. There hasn't been enough changes there. Um, no one's really catching up to them, even though uh, you had Michigan last year. I think the, the feeling is Ohio State still got a bunch of guys that they're getting drafted, and they're still a college football contender for a national title year in and year out, whereas USC is hoping – to be that within the next two to three years. Gerard, I just want to do a quick, I just want to say there's a, there's a, there's an emoji out there on the loose. A that emoji, emoji I believe is in response to the stay doubted announcement. By that is USC true. For NIL that is true. Today. That is true. I just, I just need to do it. We did it last time. When there was one that was out in the wild, and I just need to put it out there. This is a recruiting show. When they pop up, I got to put them out there. That's all I'm saying. All we I'm don't saying. have a segment to talk about Stay Doubted. I haven't really done a ton of research on it. They had Boulevard, which was a branding um, sort of platform for NIL. Uh, it sounds like Stay Doubted is maybe uh, somewhat of a consulting firm that players and USC athletes can go in and talk and try to understand maybe where they are in the NIL uh, sphere of branding and marketing and what have you. I, I have not been able to have a chance to uh, really delve into it that much, but it is not a collective. I think 
I saw a couple of um, replies to that tweet. Thankfully, we have a collective. No, this has nothing to do with a collective. As far as I can see, it is not boosters uh, just getting together and pulling money so they can try to entice recruits to USC. Gerard, I really can't have you going off script. We have too much to talk about on the show. If I if I get you on NIL and stay doubted, it's going to add at least another 30 minutes to the show. You with me? Definitely. Definitely. No, I, I know. I just was. I know. Trying to, I know. I was just trying to rein you in on your emoji obsession. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. But I just had to put it out there as a recruiting podcast. I had to just throw it into the, the nexus. And I just, I just think it's funny when it happens live on the show. So I just had to throw it in there. We're going to get back to our regularly scheduled podcast, but that's your second off script thing. One more. And I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to ban you for a little bit. All right. Then no one will, then no one will listen to the show. We should have a sub, a sub podcast called the emoji podcast. Right. That's what we need. That's what we need. And it's only five minutes. Yeah. Right. (laughs) And it's not about recruiting. Right. That, that's great. I met a bit for this uh, for this podcast, but let's get into what everyone is listening for this podcast for besides you. They want to talk. They want to hear us talk about this this recruiting weekend, the June 16th through 19th, the largest recruiting weekend in the country right now. And based off, you know, you said this is the largest you've ever seen. It's got to be the biggest and most stacked recruiting weekend in the history of USC football. Am I being over the, the top of that? In the history of all history. In the history uh, of all time history. Timestamp it. Timestamp it. We're talking about the June 16th visitors preview. USCfootball.com. And there's over 20, close to like 25 recruits that will be on this trip. And that's a lot to that's a lot of names. So what we decided to do, Gerard, before we did this, I was like, let's just put them into tiers so we can talk about each tier instead of going on about this person or this person or this person or this person. And we just get tangled up into a giant ball of yarn. So we put them into tiers and we're going to talk about each tier. So which tier do you want to talk about first, Gerard? Well, let's just get the commits out of the way, because obviously that sort of, you know, makes it a little bigger number wise, but not necessarily in terms of, you know, who are the important guys that USC has to recruit. These guys are already committed. USC has to continue to recruit them, but they're already committed. But they're, they're reinforcements, if you will, Gerard, they're, they're on the ground level. They're in these hangout sessions. They're in these, these hotel rooms hanging out. These are the guys that are going to help sell some of these guys on the long term, whether that be, you know, continuing traction or, you know, helping close out some of these guys that, you know, are USC is in their top group. So these guys are important. These are the guys you bring in for these big week, these big, uh, these big weekends. So we're going to run through them real quick. We have Quentin Joyner, the four-star running back out of Texas, Malachi Nelson, the five-star quarterback out of SoCal, Makai Lemon, the five-star uh, athlete out of Los Alamitos as well. Christian Pierce, three-star safety out of uh, Rancho Cucamonga, uh, Texas four-star safety Braxton Myers, and then five-star A1 recruiter uh, Las Vegas Bishop Gorman wide receiver Zachariah Branch, who I talked to when I was in Vegas this week. I got a, a nice visit preview coming up with him. Uh, should be dropping tomorrow. You're going to want to check that out. But 
he is probably going to be your lead guy with Nelson in terms of, you know, chatting these guys up, getting in their ears about uh, about coming to USC. And also Marion Peterson, the running back from Texas, who we assume is going to be visiting this weekend. Uh, he's another guy that, you know, not a very high, highly rated recruit, but a guy that is impossible to get a hold of. <laughs> we've, we've contacted him after he committed on Instagram and Twitter, and he confirmed that he committed, but has not really confirmed anything else and has really talked about USC. Kind of he's strange, the, but he's the Peter McBride of uh, running backs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, kind of odd. Odd that even some of the other Texas commits have never talked to him or seen him either. So strange thing. Uh, but uh, you talked about a good point with the commits is that they are what I like to call auxiliary recruiters, and so mm. they're able to get in those rooms and chat up the other commits and talk to their families, and they're able to get a little intel maybe for. Uh, the coaching staff, you know, maybe, you know, Zach Branch is able to sort of just rub elbows with some of these other commits and here's things it gets a vibe and he's able to talk to Dennis Simmons. He's able to talk to some of the other coaches and say, yeah, you know, I don't know, man, the, the dad, dad isn't really feeling USC so much. It really seems like the mom's feeling USC so much, you know, it just depends. You just want to try to get as much information as you possibly can during these visits um, to get a feel where you are. Um, not just with uh, the guys that, are, you know, in the lead pack for USC. But, you know, some of the guys, like you said, the traction type recruits that USC is just trying to make a move with. So they're within striking distance when a decision is to be made or even potentially after a decision is made. And and some point during the season, continuing to recruit that prospect and maybe be in line if there's a flip to happen at some point later in the year. So, you know, the committed guys, are important also because you've got a guy like Zach Branch and Zach Branch is still going to visit Texas A&M and he's going to visit Alabama. USC continues to recruit him and they have to recruit him. You cannot look at any of those guys that are committed as afterthoughts. You know, even in a huge recruiting weekend like this, sure, you've got guys like Melchi Nelson who have been up there a million times. Melchi is not looking to be recruited as much. You know, he's there to kind of help recruit see how the coaches interact with some of these other players. Um, he's there as sort of reinforcement to some extent, but you do have other guys like Braxton Myers and Zach Branch, um, you know, Quentin Joyner, who are not up there as much that you may have to continue to love up and make sure that you show them some attention and that there's no, you know, sort of blind spots in your recruitment where some other school has sneaked in there and they've developed a relationship with, you know, somebody's god uncle or somebody's stepdad or some trainer, and all of a sudden they're really working that angle to sort of erode that commitment. I prefer god uncle. You prefer god uncle? Yeah. I well, think we should. The unofficial name of this podcast is the god uncle podcast. The god uncle podcast. The god uncle came up with, and I'm sorry, I don't mean to go off script again, but Ronald Powell, the old five star from Marino Valley Rancho Verde High School many years ago during his recruitment he had a god uncle pop up that got him to Florida unofficially like four or five times. And um, it was just kind of a running joke within the USC coaching staff because, you know, Ronald Powell didn't have the money to be flying to Florida uh, four or five times. So this god uncle was paying for his flights and he was a real estate agent and he had a daughter that went to Etiwanda High School who Ronald Powell knew in the class before him. And that was the connection. So yeah, 
the God uncle uh, sometimes plays in the recruitment. Like I said, God uncle pod, and I will allow going off segment if it's for a recruiting tale from the past, because the P eats that up. Our listeners eat that up, but a very stacked commit group. And I would say Zachariah branch, Makai, uh, Malachi Nelson and Braxton Myers, I think are going to be your top recruiters out of that group. And in ter- just to touch on, you know, branch visiting, taking an official to uh, Texas A&M and then possibly Alabama. You know, I was out there at Bishop Gorman, talked to his dad, talked to him. And the vibe I got was, you know, they're, they're still just going to keep their options open and look at everything on the table. But just so committed to USC. Obviously, his older brother just moved in a couple weeks ago. They want to play together. You know, I'm pretty confident that he's still going to end up at USC. And he's a five-star prospect. He He's earned the right to sort of, you know, enjoy this recruitment process, wherever that, you know, whatever that may mean for him, meaning, you know, get to go out to, to Texas A&M or go, you know, meet meet Nick Saban in Alabama. He, I think he's earned that right to, you know, live it up in his recruitment a little bit. He's committed. He's still telling teams, you know, you know, I just want to let you guys know that I am still very committed to USC, but, you know, he's going to keep his options open. So I, I, I don't think you need to worry that much uh, specifically about, you know, him take looking at uh, taking at other visits. I just want to throw that out there. So that's the commits. That's the group that we expect to be on campus. That is already yeah, committed. Why I don't guess you walk us through the lead pack? I was going to say that there would be like the, the guys that USC is within, let's say, closing range. You know, mm-hmm. they're in the top two, top three, in one other school. But there's potential that before the end of summer, they could get a commitment if they're able to knock that visit out of the park and close. And I think Francis Malagoa is one guy that USC is within striking distance. Uh, Greg Biggins feels at this point that Alabama leads. He just took his official visit to Alabama last weekend. You've got Lucas Simmons, who, you know, Florida, Tennessee, there's a few other schools that are recruiting him pretty hard. But I think USC has made a huge move with him over the offseason. He really liked his unofficial visit. He moved things around so he could have his mom with him on campus at some of these visits. But USC was the school that he already was planning to have his mother and his father in town for that visit. So that shows you that ahead of time, he really had things set up knowing that USC was going to be a serious school for him. Mateo Ungulele is going to be on campus. We know that right now that seems like an Oregon-USC battle. USC wants to close the deal. If he's going to make a commitment in August, USC wants to close the deal with this official visit. Uh, Alene Noah is another guy that's coming up, big offensive lineman from the Sacramento area that USC is within striking distance to close that recruitment out. Um, you know, we, we felt like there was a couple other linemen that USC was in that lead group for. They went to other schools, visited other schools and decided to shut it down. USC needs to dis- <laughs> to be that school for Alani Noah. They need to be where they shut it down this weekend. And there's no more question marks about where he's going to go, where he's going to visit. Uh, Walker Lyons is another guy that I would put in that list. I think, you know, there's BYU. There's there's a few schools. And I think USC is among the top schools. But I think it's reasonable to say that USC could make a big move for him and really become the the lead school for him coming away from this official visit. And I would say Malachi Crawford is also in that group of schools. Malachi had already committed to UCLA. He wanted to really go through the process and take some official visits before he made another decision. But I think with Dante Williams being such an elite recruiter, he wants Malachi Crawford. I think Malachi Crawford wants to stay closer to home. I could see that being some uh, a recruitment that 
you know, whether it ends officially, you know, this weekend or unofficially, I could see Malachi Crawford being a part of the recruiting class before the end of summer. Yeah, it's a very stacked lead pack group and a guys that the the parastyle and U.S. casual UC fans are really excited about. They're following it. And, you know, just looking at it, I don't think I don't think you could expect maybe like Francis to shut it down after this weekend. You know, I think USC for this trip is for them to make up ground and sort of get back in the forefront of his mind. But a guy like Lucas Simmons, that's a guy absolutely who could pop. Like you talked about, you know, bringing his mom out here. Mateo been to campus a lot of times. This is where USC wants to close out. Alani, again, it could be a quick, quick turnaround for him. If USC, you know, pushes and seals it there. Deuce Robinson already has USC crystal balls. Uh, I know for a fact that Zachariah Branch, that's one of his top guys he's going to be talking with this weekend. So, you know, maybe that's enough to sort of get that excitement, get Malachi Nelson up there as well already, you know, get some of those skill guys around him, you know, talk about the future in terms of, you know, this is the core. This is this is a national championship offense. So that could be enough to get it there. And same with Walker Lyons, as you mentioned. And Malachi Crawford is a guy who I've been very high on in terms of, you know, USC being in that lead spot for him. So you could you could talk us into, you know, at least one, two, three, four, five, five of those guys, you know, maybe, you know, pulling the trigger sooner rather than later in terms of coming off this visit. Yeah, you and mentioned again, you mentioned Zach Branch uh, going mm-hmm. after uh, Deuce Robinson. Um, I, I don't think, you know, Malachi Nelson has really had a lot of time in person to chill out with uh, Deuce Robinson. And yeah. I know Lucas Simmons has never met. Uh, Malachi Nelson and and he was excited to to get Lucas Simmons down there uh, to be able to meet him in person and and hang out with him. He he's definitely been recruiting Francis Malagoa a whole lot. Um, we know that uh, you know he's been in uh, Mateo's ear a whole lot. So there's guys that he has a relationship with, but there's some guys that he's never met on unofficial visits. And so he was excited to be able to meet some of these guys and and try to you know push them, try to nudge them. I, I think that group of guys it's close enough where USC is at the top among the top choices for all those players that, you know, it could be sort of, you know, what is the deal breaker? You know, USC has got to find the deal breaker for, for these guys and whether it's, you know, a commitment within, you know, 48 hours of the visit, or it's something that's planned later in July or August, it's still going to probably lead back to this visit and what happened on this visit and what didn't happen on this visit. So, yeah, it's very important for, you know, Malachi and Zach and, and some of those commits to be able to be around these other recruits that are in that vicinity of being able to make a decision here on, you know, their top schools and where USC sort of, um, you know, where they stack up with some of these other schools that they've seen. And I could guarantee you this commit group and this lead pack group are going to be very close uh, throughout the entire weekend. And Zachariah Branch told me specifically by name, Francis, Lucas, and Deuce Robinson were kind of his three big fish going into this visit. So he already has his little his little board for this weekend going. Again, I got a visit preview with him coming up. going to post that uh, on Thursday going into this uh, weekend. So be sure to check that out on the Peristyle. Uh, moving off that group. We have a, 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 a super small group, our, our smallest group right now, and these are the traction guys. Jarrell, what can you tell us about these traction guys? Well, we always talk about recruiting weekends or visits where USC is just trying to sort of get better traction in a recruitment 
with a particular player. You know, you, you have your foot in the door. He's already going to officially visit the school. But it's, you know, getting into a position where you feel like you're a serious contender. And again, it may not be for a commitment this summer. It may be getting yourself into a position where throughout the season, if USC is able to win 10 games and they're able to go to a Rose Bowl and maybe the school that this prospect commits to over the summer, that was the lead school all along, has some coaching changes. Maybe they have a bad season, whatever. You have gotten to the point where you can become a serious contender and you're just you know, hovering around and you're within striking distance of being able to get back in that recruitment if that recruitment is reopened. So I would say Jalen Hale is sort of in that situation right now. He's a guy that has been to Southern California before, um, didn't have a lot of interest or, or really a lot of knowledge of USC. It was more like, hey, USC is a big national school. It's in LA. LA was cool. I enjoyed the opening last year. I'd like to go back out there again. I have a good relationship with Dennis, uh, Dennis Simmons, the wide receiver coach at USC from Oklahoma. Had a good relationship with Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma. So now there's more of a people sort of aspect to it that can draw him to USC, people that he has a good relationship with. Uh, but obviously USC is a school, as a brand, and being away from home and L.A., all those other things, that all has to sort of come into play this weekend he has to learn more about USC and become more comfortable at USC. You know, he's comfortable with the idea of, you know, could I play at USC? Yeah, I guess so. But now he has to actually become comfortable and his family have to become comfortable with USC. The same goes with Anthony Hill. Never been to USC, hasn't taken any unofficial visits to USC uh, that I recall I, I, off the top of my head. USC is just a school that it's a national brand and it still has some pull from that regard. And again, those coaches from Oklahoma recruited him and so he has a relationship with some of the coaches on staff and that's been able to be a pulling factor as well so you know just the guy that's sort of like hey man USC that's a that's a great name that's a great hat to have on the table if you're a national recruit because it's you know sort of coast to coast like yeah I'm looking at Florida I'm looking at Ohio State and you know you want to have some variety there so it's a hat on the table and it looks good when you're a national recruit but this is the weekend for USC to become more than that this is a weekend for USC to become a serious contender because of the academics, because of L.A., because of maybe NIL and the market that is L.A. Um, those sort of things are things that Anthony Hill has only heard about. He's only had conversations about, but now he gets to see it in person and he gets to be on campus. So this is that opportunity for USC to gain traction in that recruitment. And again, maybe he commits to Texas A&M over uh, the summer, maybe he commits to Texas, uh, Oklahoma, whatever. You know, there's no guarantee that those schools don't have coaching changes, that things don't happen. You just never know what's going to be there. So, you know, you want to be in that conversation potentially later down the line if uh, that recruit reopens his recruitment. So, those are the two guys that are big time guys. You got a four star and a five star that I would say are in that traction group. I wouldn't say long shots, I wouldn't say anything like that. I would just say that. This is a group where USC obviously has to make up some ground, and it's, I think, considerable ground, more ground than you would say with like a Francis Mayagoa, right? More ground than, right. let's say, uh, Walker Lions, um, but still certainly in within striking distance of, you know, being a serious contender coming out of the weekend. Yeah, it's a very small group, obviously, and, you know, guys that we've talked about a couple times during the summer, but 
it's a it's 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 the time where USC shows what they got. I mean, for the lead pack group, you're so, you're sort of putting in that uh, that full court press to an extent, you know, trying to secure their spot number one or lock up that commitment. Traction guys, you're just kind of opening the door, showing everything you have to offer. Like, look at this, look at this, look at this, look at this. We can do this. Not necessarily pushing, but you just want to show off everything that LA has to offer. That being, you know, the beaches. Lincoln Riley's house, all that kind of stuff is, is sort of to so they can stick. So USC can stick in their minds moving forward and sort of hopefully in the, for the coaches, you know, move up in their recruitment. And then moving on, we have this this group that I hate the name that we have. It's just called the rest. I'm sure we could we could have thought of a better name, but that's that's essentially what it, it feels like. We have a bunch of guys here where I don't want us to call them like outlying just outright call them wild cards or anything like that. But it's just this group of guys that it's hard to kind of peg where they are right now. This, this group includes guys like uh, defensive tackle Terrence Green, uh, Trey Wilson, Edric Hill, uh, Warren Roberson, Braylon Shelby, Micah, the offensive lineman Micah Buenelos, linebacker David Peavy, defensive tackle Marcus Deal, uh, St. Louis safety, Christian Gray, Oklahoma athlete, Micah Tease, obviously a big group, a lot of names that have, you know, popped up here and there. And it's just a, a really interesting group because we also have some guys that, you know, maybe you consider consider putting them in a different group, Gerard. Yeah, it's it's a group where we know they have interest in USC and we know USC has interest in them, but to gauge how serious they are about leaving home, I think is really the question for some of these guys. You know, I I think Terrence Green really likes USC. He had a good unofficial visit out to USC during the spring, but you know, is he close to having USC as like a top school? Can you consider him a guy that could potentially commit? Cause you know, he's, not the highest rated guy. He's a four-star, I think, composite, maybe three-star by 24-7. Um, but he's a big body, 6'5", 265, and he's definitely a defensive tackle that USC wants to try to close the deal with. It's just, I think, the 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 family aspect and the way-from-home aspect is kind of the question mark with some of the other schools recruiting him and some of the options. You know, can USC pry him out of Texas? I think you know, he becomes a little bit of a question mark there. You get a, a Marquise Deal as another guy that I know USC is a big player for him. And I think he legitimately could be pushed in to that sort of lead pack group. I, I think you could probably put him there. But still, there's other schools locally that he could visit, which could keep him close to home. You know, there's just that factor of, is he going to buy in? Um, does he feel like USC, you know, is a fit for him? Um, I just have a hesitation to put him as like a, you know, USC is his top two schools. You know, I just don't know that right now about Marquis Deal. Um, Christian Gray may be even in there as well. A lot of people feel like Christian Gray is a Notre Dame guy. Uh, you know, maybe LSU is in there. Uh, there's some other schools, Oklahoma. But, you know, USC is not in that top of the lead pack for him. But you know, he definitely has a lot of interest in USC, and we've spoken to him about that interest in USC, and he's conveyed it. He's been very articulate about why he likes USC. And then you sprinkle in the fact that it's Dante Williams, and you know Dante Williams is capable of pulling a guy from out of state 
that you might not think USC has a great shot at. So he's sort of in that group as well. And, and you know, Micah Tease has a very good relationship with USC. I think, you know, with him, it's Oklahoma is the lead school for sure. And I think there's a, a little bit of a gap there and USC has to make up a bit of that gap. Um, but, you know, they made a big push with his uh, teammate, Gentry Williams, uh, a year ago. And, it, you know, at this point uh, last year, a lot of people felt like maybe USC was the lead school for Gentry Williams going into his official visit. But it sort of all kind of fell apart after his official visit to Oklahoma. So, you know, all these things, there's going to be other visits to other schools. And when they're closer to home and they're able to work on the parents and work on mom, you have to overcome that. And I think, again, we talk about the whole faith sort of aspect of this with some of these out-of-state recruits. You know, it worked with Braxton Myers. You know, he had faith in the coaching staff that they're going to turn this around. And the uncertainty that exists of whether USC can get back to being uh, a national championship contender, can get back to developing players for the NFL and getting, you know, eight, ten guys drafted in a single draft, whereas, you know, they're getting a guy or two or three and you need to turn that around. And, you know, none of that is really going to be seen until you get on the field in September and you start playing games and you see uh, how much this coaching staff impacts the player development and how they impact just coaching games and play calling and everything that comes with it. So that's sort of where we are. You know, there's a lot of guys on this list, you know, that are just guys that we know has interest in USC, but um, they're just kind of names right now. And it's hard to gauge as to whether uh, USC is really uh, in that top two or not for them. Yeah. And based on all that, and I, I don't want to speak for you, but I feel like there's definitely guys on here that we could see, you know, we wouldn't be, we wouldn't be shocked if there were a couple guys on this list that ended up being commitments, you know, maybe a couple of weeks down the line or, you know, through the summer. I mean, a guy like Terrence Green has been on campus a couple of times. Micah Buenelos is a guy I talked to right after USC offered him, and he is really high on Josh Henson. Hasn't really been much interaction there, but obviously he's coming in for an official. So I wouldn't be shocked if USC was able to make a move there, maybe move into that top group, maybe even seal, seal the deal there. Obviously their need for offensive linemen. You mentioned Marcus Deal. I've always been very optimistic about Christian Gray and where USC stands in his top group. So there are guys that we would absolutely not be shocked at if they went ahead and, you know, maybe made a commitment to USC. It's just a very uh, hodgepodge group that it's hard to really uh, figure out where they are, as, as you mentioned. Yeah, you don't want to build expectations on that group, I guess you could say, right, I mean, right, right. You, you know, it's like we, we come out of uh, that first weekend and, you know, you've got Amos Talalele and you've got Elijah Page that turn around and commit to Cal and Notre Dame. And it's like, wow, what, why would you not wait to at least take your official visit to USC? Right. Like, I mean, it seems a little early to shut it down after all this time and you've taken these unofficial visits, but you know what? Some of that has to do with, the recruiting process and how so many of these kids are taking unofficial visits to multiple schools before they take their official visits. So, you know, in the case of Terrence Green, in the case of Christian Gray, uh, Micah Tease, Marcus Deal as well. I don't know if it's Marquise or Marquis. I think it's Marquise, but Marcus Deal, they've all taken unofficial visits to USC. Uh, you know, Micah uh, Benuelos has also uh, been to USC unofficially, I believe. Has he been at USC unofficially? I believe so. Yeah, I, possibly. Yeah, I, I believe can't remember so. off the top of my head if he actually has been. But the guys that have been there unofficially, 
um, and they've been to other schools unofficially, you realize that they're further in the process. So there is that potential for them to commit right away. Some of these guys have never been to USC before. And some of these guys have not been to a lot of schools before. And so that's, that's a little difference, you know, that, that, that's why maybe, you know, Elijah Page can commit to Notre Dame right away because he'd taken unofficial visits to a bunch of schools already, but still, I mean, you do, you do sort of wonder with those guys where you go, okay, uh, you know, USC's made a good impression. They say a lot of great things about USC. They say all the right things about USC and you figure they're at least going to get on campus for the official visit and they don't. So again, it's, you know, not building those expectations on guys that, you know, it, it could kind of go either way. And, and if they've got other official visits scheduled to other schools. You just don't want to necessarily say, okay, this is where they are in their recruitment. And this is where USC stands. Um, I think we feel more confident with some of those other players in the lead pack where, you know, they, we know that they are going to make a decision at the end of summer and USC is, is among those top schools. And, um, you know, it's just a matter of talking to them uh, personally and getting that vibe and knowing again, around them, the champions, the family, the other things that have to come into play to seal the deal and close the deal. Uh, there's just a little more information, a little more knowledge or sourcing that USC is among the, that lead group for them. Uh, and I don't even want to say lead group. I, I think, you know, with that lead pack of guys that we've talked about, that's the group that you want to close with. That's the group where USC is among, I would say, reasonably top two. Top two, not two? Top two, not two? <laughs> yeah, that's like, that's a way of saying he's top two, but he's not two. He's one. No, never heard that. No. No. Okay. Well, I tried. Let's uh, let's move on from that awkward exchange to the final group, which is sort of like a really not existing group, but it's the call me maybe group, as it is listed here that you, you know, gave a little war room title uh, for. These are guys that, you know, obviously there's going to be guys on this list that maybe don't make it. And there's guys be gonna, that are not on this list that are going to randomly pop up for this this. Uh, this giant weekend. So these are kind of just names that we've, we've put out there that, you know, maybe they'll, they'll sneak in for this weekend. And, you know, some of the names are, you know, the, the recent four star offensive tackle, Caleb Lomu, who they offered, who is going to take an official visit when that happens. You know, I, I, I was told maybe closer to the end of the month, but you know, maybe he sneaks in one for this weekend. Uh, five star, this, this visit can't enough, can't have enough five stars, but five star, Athlete Nicholas Harbor out of the DMV, you know, we haven't heard much about, you know, his his target dates. If he wants to go during the season or maybe he wants to get it out of the way during the summer. Now that track's winding down. But Harbor, you know, maybe he's a guy that maybe ends up here this weekend. Uh, three star linebacker out of San Diego, Victory Johnson. He told me he wants to take an official to, to USC. Maybe it's this weekend. Uh, Dale Austin, the LSU commit. You know, he seems like a guy who's going to still take all his visits despite being committed. Gerard doesn't like my idea of of turning the Galen Center into the the Dalen Center. Uh, he thought that was the, the dumbest idea. But at Trevino Tech, I think that's something we would do. I think that sounds like a great do. idea. No, that sounds like a great oh, idea. Okay, I thought Trevino you Tech. I thought you were scoffing at my uh, my idea. No, I thought it was funny. You said that you said the Dalen Center, and I was I just I laughed because I was like, yeah. The, the I just heard it. I just heard the eye roll on the other side of the, the camera. <laughs> the Dalen Center. Yeah, these are guys that we have no confirmation will be on campus, uh, but you know, potentially there could be a, a, a little you know just slide another guy in. Um, 
I think with Dalen Austin, that would obviously be kept on the low because he's committed to LSU. Um, I did ask around to see if maybe DeAndre Moore might make it on campus, even unofficially, you know, just to be there, just to kind of see the the hullabaloo that's going to be this weekend. Uh, no, doesn't sound like he would take his unofficial visit or an official visit to USC at this point. Probably a little too new of a commit for, for Louisville to, to pop up on USC's campus. Um, with Dalen, I think there's a potential – that he could be there a, a little more um, than uh, some of the other guys, but we'll have to wait and see how that goes. And, and, and with Harbor, yeah, we just don't have any real information. He's kept that very close to the vest where he wants to visit and when he's going to actually take those visits. I think his recruiting process is going to go to the end, you know? Um, so he may take a bunch of those visits later in the year, but again, he's a guy, if he popped up at USC this weekend, it, it wouldn't shock me for an official visit. So there's that potential. And I think there is probably maybe a couple other visitors uh, that pop up. I mean, we were actually told there were five official visitors this past weekend and we could not get confirmation or a name on the fifth visitor. And I think it probably happened considering the source, it might've been a transfer and that's why everything's kept closed and it's very, quiet and the transfer thing is just it's really hard to get information on transfers comings and goings on campus I don't know why that is it just seems like the transfers themselves don't really want to make a big deal of their recruitment and they want to go to these schools and visit these schools and not have it be out there in the public nevertheless that was something that was talked about so there is potential that you actually have more official visitors here it's just so hard to keep track of guys you know Malik Bryant it sounds like the uh, Florida linebacker who was tentatively uh, going to officially visit USC this week is going to be in Maryland. So that's one that's not probably going to be in town this week. Uh, Maryland, you say? Maryland, I say, yeah. Uh, and that was, again, it was tentative because he sort of put it out there, but there was no graphic. There was no anything. And usually with the guys that are confirmed, it comes with some sort of graphic that, you know, I'm going to be at USC uh, this weekend. So, uh, you know, we're just trying to keep track of all that. You know, it's never been 20 plus guys for official visits on campus at once for USC. Uh, it's a new thing for USC. And like I said, it's going to be one of the biggest recruiting weekends uh, that you're going to see nationally. And just to note, it seems like they're going to be staggered, would you say? Yeah, there's going to be like the group that comes in tomorrow, like they're going to be there early tomorrow already. They might even come in tonight, actually. And then there's going to be a group that's going to be there all the way till probably Monday. So and and obviously with some of these local guys, they're driving in and you get like Christian Pierce. He's able to drive in and hang out and leave whenever he wants to because he doesn't have a flight out. So those kids, <laughs> there's going to be overlap there as well. Malachi Nelson's going to come in Thursday, but he could be all the way there till Monday. Uh, for the guys that are not flying out till Monday because he's driving up and he's driving back. So, yeah, there'll they'll be guys there that are literally there for four days. So it's going to be more than just a 48-hour visit. It's going to be a, a, an official visit that turns into an unofficial visit. Yeah, is there – yeah, is there – there's no, like, rule on how long, like, a local guy can be there? Like, when does it actually, like, end? Yeah, no, not at all. I mean, because Grant Bucky was there uh, Thursday and left late Sunday. And so, you know, he was there like it was a little more than 48 hours, but he could leave whenever he wanted to leave because 
uh, you know, he's driving back home to Bakersfield. He's not taking a flight anywhere. So when you got guys like linebacker, uh, David Peavy, who's coming up from San Diego, um, he's a guy that's able to just, you know, drive up from San Diego and he can hang out on campus for, you know, as long as he wants to, because he's going to be driving back home. Um, same might be true with Walker Lyons. I'm not hundred percent sure if he's going to drive down or make the flight. Uh, but Malachi Crawford, you know, those guys are going to be able to just kind of hang out on campus uh, for the whole visit. And that's going to be really two groups of guys. There are going to be those guys that come in um, the, the 16th. And then there's the, the later 17th group that will come in. So um, it's going to be wild. It's going to be a lot of uh, driving back and forth to the airport. And like we said, man, have some empathy for the carts. The carts are going to get used. I hope that there's a mechanic that's going to be working overtime this weekend. It's going to be there like, Hey, that's something to think about. You don't want a bunch of carts breaking down. That would definitely, uh, you know, create an issue for this weekend. So you got to think of everything. We should uh, go disguised as cart mechanics. We could, Hey, you know what? There's a joke there, but, um, (laughs) I won't say it, but we, we could do that. And, uh, we could just uh, just hang out, you know, and just be like, hey, you know what? Any carts break down? Get some jumpsuits, couple a uh, couple Latin guys, just yeah, hang around with some toolboxes, you know. <laughs> you know, listen, listen, listen as you know the carts broken down on the side. Listen how the the visits going, you know, kind of thing. Chat up we a parent. Just, I mean, we could just act like we don't speak English. No habla inglés, señor. I don't know what you're saying, but hey, you committed, Charlie. That's a uh, that accent was terrifying. <laughs> and I'm going to leave it in. Uh, but you were, if you were white, I would have cut it immediately. But since you are a official Latino guy, it is OK. And I cannot get sued for that. My 50 percent. I, I, I got a 50 percent card. I guess I, that gets me. 50 uh, percent is enough. Your 50 percent is 100 percent on this podcast, Hurricane. And with that, a lot of official visitor talk. We're going to take a break and come back and we're going to talk about Las Vegas. And Gerard was a little more local. Up at USC, we're going to talk about those camps and that passing tournament. And then we got just a, just a little bit, just a few uh, listener questions. And and then we'll wrap this show up. Gerard, how does that sound? That sounds A-OK. OK, A-OK. So let's take a quick commercial break and we'll be right back. Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hurricane, how was that break? It was good. Still learning Cantonese, though, because the pronunciation is just a little tougher than Mandarin. So I'm, st- I'm, I'm still, still getting there with my Cantonese on the breaks, you know. 
This isn't me saying to do it, but I can't wait to hear that Mexican accent with the Cantonese. I can't wait to hear that that combination. Yeah. I yeah. Can't either. And I'm really glad you're doing this podcast with me because you know what they say about two stars? They got to stick together? No. They say that having two stars could be a lot better than having one. There you go. Boom. That's it. I mean, that see, right there, that type of production takes us to the next level because there's a lot of work and time to go find that. Chris, you, ha- you had to find that clip, that, yeah. that little second clip, and it probably took you two hours to find that little second clip. Yeah, two hours. Let's go with that. Let's just go with that time, that time crunch. Uh, I, I scoured the internet for that. So, Well, you get paid yeah. for hours, so there you go. There you go. There you go. Uh, speaking about getting paid... I went out to Vegas uh, this weekend for the Overtime OT7 tournament. Uh, First of all, well, I guess I'm just going to throw it to you, Gerard, because it's like, what do you want to ask me about the OT7 tournament? Because I'm going to ask you about the the league camp. So I'm just giving it to you. You you take over. We get to turn the tables a little bit. There we go. So the OT7 tournament, let's talk about this a little bit in terms of what it is. It's this event. That was, I believe, the inaugural event. Yes, yes. That was held in Las Vegas in June. So you're already a little skeptical how that's going to go down because it's 107, 112 during the day. But it sounds like they had all most of the games, at least, at night. But it's this big group of former pros, Jeff Bezos' company. Like, there's a lot of money. That oh, there was money. There was money in the, at this yeah, thing. thrown at this event, and they flew in a bunch of the best seven-on-seven teams in the nation, and uh, they had this tournament, and Chris went down for it. I was going to go, too, but I had my spidey sense tell me, I need to stay back at HQ because USC could pull some shenanigans with these visits. So stay back at HQ. They end up having an elite camp. We'll talk about that in a little bit. We were able to get some ISO film on five-star Malachi Nelson, the quarterback from Los Alamitos, who's playing for South Florida Express, which is a little odd, but he met up with those guys when they were taking unofficial visits to USC back in spring and hung out a little bit with them. And they said, hey, you want to you know, be our quarterback for the pylon tournament? And he did. So he decided to be the quarterback uh, for South Florida Express. And they end up winning the championship. Chris, talk a little bit about his weekend and the four days he was out there and playing and, and, and actually some some big time matchups with some other quarterbacks. How did that go? Yeah, so obviously, as you mentioned, we've seen Malachi run with this uh, South Florida team before out here in California. This time, he brought along his teammate uh, Makai Lemon. He was playing a wide receiver for them. Didn't actually get a lot of time. I just saw him play a couple of times. You can see in the clips. There's only a couple catches from him. Wasn't really used in sort of like the bigger matchups. Uh, Obviously, the big the big guy on that team, along with uh, Malachi Nelson, is you know that five star wide receiver Brandon Innes, USC target, Ohio State target. We'll take his official visit to USC during the season. Talk to him a little about that. Put it in the war room. But it was very clear early on that Malachi and uh, Brandon had really good chemistry. There were there were drives where Nelson was only looking to Brandon Innes. And he got in those like first two games that I watched, he got at least like 70 percent of the targets. And it it was a smart plan because there wasn't really a lot of people that could cover Brandon at this tournament. And he was showcasing those hands 
and his physicality. There were a couple times where, you know, he was running full speed for that end zone and the guys kind of like in their, you know, how kind of touch him and that's the end of the play. They kind of like checked him a little bit. And one time he was like, ooh, you're lucky that I didn't have pads on. So he was, you know, he was talking his stuff. You know, they were having fun out there. Malachi, first first two games I saw, first play, deep shot, touchdown. So he was on those early those early couple of days. You know, he was having fun out there. They had a giant foam pit. So there was a lot of every time there was a big play or big uh, interception or anything like that, guys were jumping into this foam pit, which is a little bit dangerous because if you were the first guy in, you have like 10 other guys jumping in over you. So there was a lot of kind of that going on. There was water guns. It was a very like new age, seven on seven, modern recruiting thing. If you were like an old school football guy, you would have hated this thing. I'm telling you right now, Gerard, you would have hated this thing. You would have hated them having fun out there, seven on seven, not real football. What do you call underwear Olympics or whatever? It was very much, it leaned into everything that, you know, kind of people don't like about 7-on-7. But it was a fun time, good atmosphere. A lot of people came out. The stands were packed. Sidelines were packed all the time. But Malachi, you know, that that second day, he had a big matchup with uh, Nico. Jar, can you help me out with the last name? Because I'm, I'm going to butcher it. Ayamaya Leva. Ayamaya Leva. Nico Ayamaya Leva. Obviously, the number two rated quarterback in Southern California uh, for these guys he was playing with Team Toa. He was uh, Nico was not there on Monday, uh, or sorry, excuse me, Thursday. He was not there on Thursday. Uh, his younger brother Madden was kind of leading the team. Uh, I believe he had some sort of like finals to do back at Long Beach Poly or something. So he flew in on Friday, and Team Toa was the talk of the tournament on Friday because they went head to head with uh, South Florida Express. They went on Field One, which is the main stage. They had it streaming. They had a TV. Two TVs, two large screens where you could watch the game. They had a live announcer. I think two people were calling the game live. And everyone was excited about this game. A lot of people showed up. A lot of teams that weren't playing, you know, they huddled around field one because they wanted to watch Nico versus Malachi. That was the the head-to-head everyone wanted to see. We're not going to see it in the actual high school football season. Uh, Losal and Polly are not playing against each other, maybe in the playoffs. Uh, but this is the only time we're really going to have to see Malachi versus Nico and Team Toa put the hurt on South Florida Express. It was almost stunning because Team Toa did not have, obviously, the most stacked roster. And you look over to South Florida, and they have Carnell Tate. They have uh, Brandon Innes. They have Mike, uh, Mikhail Lemon, Malachi Nelson. Five stars on five stars on five stars. The most stacked roster in the tournament. And Team Toa was just putting it on them through the first, like, 15 minutes garbage time uh, South Florida finally got some points on the board, but Nico was putting the ball where he needed to put it. He he won that head-to-head contest, you know, based on, you know, obviously it's seven on seven, but Nelson was looking for those, those deep shots that were, that were working for him early in the tournament. They just weren't there. He wasn't connecting on those deep shots uh, in this game. There was about like four times I counted where he went deep, but just like out of the back of the end zone. So they sh- really struggled to get that going and, Team Toa just took advantage. Uh, Nico hitting them down the field, making some big plays. Their defense actually played really, really well, uh, considering all those weapons they were going up against. And they shut them down. Uh, it looked like it was going to be a shutout, but you know they, they uh, South Florida managed to score late in, in that one. But 
overall, it was a really fun event to cover. Really well produced and well run. There were a couple teams that were late to the schedule, got kind of mixed up a bit, but you know they gave us a, like a goodie bag. There was a media section where you could put your stuff, and they had unlimited Gatorade and drinks. And then they gave us like a media guide, Gerard. It had rosters of every team and names and all that jazz. It was the most uh, well put together roster I've ever seen at a seven on seven. Did all those kids make it on the roster? Of course not. But it was still nice to have a roster and have sort of like a sort of uh, something to help you get through the weekend that was, you know, everyone was running everywhere, trying to locate kids, walking up to coaches, say, hey, hey, coach, did this kid make it out here? No, OK, I'm going to cross them off my list. So, you know, there was uh, some big names that were, I was hoping to see and, and talk to that did make it out there. But still, I got to talk to, you know, a bunch of different pe- people. I got to talk to Ethan Nation out of Georgia, the cornerback out of Georgia, Jet White. You know, out of Orange, the USC commit, I got to chat with him a little bit. Uh, Tavani Mizell, who I've interviewed before, but this is my first time meeting him in person. He's actually transferring to DeMatha Catholic, my alma mater at the DMV. You know, he's expected to take an unofficial visit this weekend in the craziness of it all. And he's the number three rated running back in 2024. He's a big deal. And I got to talk with him, see him play a little bit. Ruben Owens was out there. He wasn't even supposed to be on the list, but he was out there playing with premium rocking those USC gloves, got to get a, got to chat with him a little bit, get an update. And, and I'm sorry to disappoint those who were excited about him rocking those USC gloves, but he just liked the way they looked. So that's why I was rocking them. And I got to talk to the number one overall prospect in 2024, quarterback Desmond Ricks. I put that story up today. If you could check that out. You know, he's from Virginia by way of IMG Academy. He's hoping to visit USC at some point. He's got some time in his recruitment, but really likes Lincoln Riley. Really likes Dante Williams, so thinking about looking out west, likes the West Coast, so probably going to see him back out here at USC, California, taking a visit uh, at some point during his recruitment. But a lot of good interviews, talked to a lot of coaches, a lot of uh, a lot of coaches and all that, so it was a good trip, even though it was uh, super, super hot. It wasn't that bad, you know, about like 8 o'clock it was bearable, but throughout the day, man, it was, it was brutal. So, in... Talking about Las Vegas, you did miss. We have some breaking news. Check your phone, check Twitter, but uscfootball.com has a story up on Bakersfield, California. Defensive lineman Grant Bucky commits to USC after his official visit. Check out the story. So you were right. Maybe the emoji was for actually Bucky and not for the NIL. That all happened while I was. Talk to me. Why did you? Why did your you diatribe you, about Las why Vegas? Did, and, why did you cut me off, Gerard? Why did you cut me off? Because I didn't need to. I I was writing my. I wasn't writing my story. Well, yeah, I was writing my story <clears throat> and talking to. I don't know. Whatever. Stories up. Quotes. Check it out on uscfootball.com. It's a free story. Uh, this is probably not going to go up till what Thursday. So this will probably be old news by that point. Do you want to give a uh, reaction? But there's the reaction. He commit. Oh my gosh! Shocking. Amazing. Uh, we talked about him probably not making that visit to Cal on the 24th. Uh, wink, wink. Uh, so, yeah, uh, he made it official. I'm home. Fight on with a commitment graphic. And uh, we retweeted and followed up with a little story with him talking about his official visit and uh, some of the things that uh, were sort of the deal breakers for him and what he saw and what was important to him. And, uh, you know, just a few little things there uh, to follow up on uh, that commitment. 
Yeah, I mean, kudos to you. You had the story ready. You should have cut me off earlier. This is the first time we've had a commitment happen live on the show. We had uh, Carson Tabarucci uh, commit like right as we were ending a show and right when we were talking about putting the show up. So they keep getting more and more. They keep invading on our show, Gerard. <laughs> they keep they keep coming. Well, I mean, hey, it's uh, uh, I mean, what can you expect if this goes to two, three hours? I mean, shoot, next weekend, you could have like five commits happen uh, from the time of us starting the podcast and actually ending the podcast. I mean, we do a little bit of chatting as to, you know, what are we going to talk about? So this is actually probably, I mean, would you say it's almost a three to four hour event for us? And then you've got to edit some of the 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 points in time where, you know, we got to take a break or something like that. So, yeah, I mean, this is probably a podcast that, that takes you know, quite a few hours. So in that amount of time. Something's going to happen. Something did happen. That breaks. Oh, we're doing it. At, at, what, at what point of my. At what point of my story did it happen? <laughs> like really early or in the middle or like towards the end? It was kind of like right in the middle of, of you talking about, oh, what were you saying? I was kind of listening to you and then kind of obviously <laughs> not. Um, you were talking about the foam pit. and then Yeah, okay. Foam pit. Jumping into the foam, foam pit. pit. And, then, and then you were kind of breaking into that. And then at some point you were talking about, well, they had, you know, water for us. And then they had a media packet for us, which was really nice. And it was really nice. The media packet was very well done with pictures and everything and the rosters. I mean, getting a roster from seven-on-seven seven tournaments is sometimes just like a joke. Like, yeah, right. Good, good luck with that. Um, so they had, you know, all kinds of information there. That It was in amongst that. I was, yeah, putting the story up and retweeting and what have you. Impressive. I didn't notice the thing. My phone was buzzing, but I didn't realize why. I didn't realize. Yeah, why. I mean, well, yeah. If you're like me and you are, your phone buzzes all, all the time all, <laughs> during the day, so you never know if it's buzzing importantly or it's just buzzing because it's buzzing. Somebody wants to check uh, with you about something that's uh, not a commitment. Is there any follow up that you want to do on Bucky or the Vegas trip? Anything you want to follow up on that I said, even though you weren't listening. <laughs> I mean, 430-pound bench press, uh, 515 squat. You know, he just put up some really good numbers in the weight room, kind of further showing his development. Uh, That was kind of what I was going to talk about a little bit when we talked about him on his official visit. And the difference between him being a three-star and a four-star, it was, you know, seeing him in person and seeing his physical development. That's just very important for linemen in general. And so uh, I kind of had those numbers uh, for the story. I didn't want to blow that. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, you've seen some physical development from him. I think it's just a matter of getting eyes on in person and being able to see him. And, and I, and I told him, I said, you know, a great time to get out there and show everybody what you look like in, in, in your movement and, uh, your newfound strength is, uh, that elite camp at USC. So we'll see if, um, he's able to go to that. I think he should go to that. I think that's 100%, you know, he's not obviously going to Cal that weekend now. So, um, you know, we'll hopefully see him there and, and maybe he's able to get his four star out of it. Gerard, so now in terms of the visitors that we know, 50 percent on commitments. So we call it a successful week, a successful weekend. Yeah, bing, bang, boom. I mean, you know, technically, if there is that fifth visitor out there, that secret visitor, then maybe, maybe we're not quite at fifty. But that's yeah. I mean, if you got four or five visitors, you get two commitments, three commitments. Is sort of what you're looking for. So, um, you know, they're going to be up there around, you know, a dozen for uh, this coming weekend. And, and that's a lot to ask for, especially the group 
that you're hoping to close with, you know, those guys are like you two, three, five stars there. Uh, but that's, that's what you want out of a successful weekend. Yeah. You want to hit that 50% ratio. Before we move on to the rising stars camp, should I tell my Vegas story about winning money? Well, yeah, that was going to be part of that is, uh, you know, uh, Chris was able to, 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 I guess you're paying your own way, right? To the, to the, the event. I now, guess now, according to Ryan, I'm paying my way, paying my own way. Yeah. <laughs> Do you gamble? Yeah. How did you, uh, how did you, I don't, I really don't. I, uh, Have you ever gambled? I think I gambled once in Laughlin, but I, I'm not a gambler. No. I'm also not a gambler, but I had just a little bit of luck on my side and my buddy. I was going to, I thought you were going to say it had a little bit of alcohol. No, 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 no. My buddy had a uh, had a work trip a couple months back, and he left me. He let me take two hundred and seventy five dollars worth of chips that he wasn't able to play back in his work trip. And he was like, "I just want you to go to casino, play roulette, put it all on black, and just blow it, see what happens." So I did that uh, Saturday morning. I went to the Mirage, put it on black. I've never played a table in my life. I stick to the slots because I don't want the human interaction or whatever, but it's obviously a little bit more easy to understand as opposed to slots, but put it all down on black. It hit on black too. So I was like, all right, made it $550, $550, texted him, said, hey, we won. And he was like, okay, do it again. I was like, oh my gosh. At this point, I'm nervous because even though it's not my money, it's still like I'm losing $550. So I went back to the table put it all on black again and it hit on black 22. So at that point, that's $1,100 and I'm freaking out. I have so much adrenaline in me. And I said, Hey, we won. And he was like, okay, do you think we should do it again? And I was like, God, no, please. No, I'm running out of this. I'm running out of this place. And he was like, okay, okay, okay. We won't do it again. So he gave me a hundred dollars to gamble with. And then he gave me $200. So he gave me $300 in all. And he said, go, go buy dinner or whatever you want. And so he gave me that $300. And so later I was at Caesars and I took that $100 and I did the same thing. I put it all on black on the roulette table and I won, hit on black 17. So I had $200. So I left and I went to walk out and I was thinking like, Gerard, the twos were hot. Two star recruits. I hit on, I won on black two and black 22. The twos are hot. So I just, you know, couldn't leave without playing that second, you know, time because you know what they say that having two stars could be a lot better than having one. Two bets are better than having one. So I went back to the same table. I waited for one round to go. It was, it was red 32. And I was like, all right, this is my time. So I put it down $200. $200 worth of chips on black again. Couldn't look, turned away. Boom, turn around. It hits on black eight. So I won $400. And that for me, that was it. Eight is my lucky number. So I was like, that's my sign. I'm hitting on that and I'm walking away. So in all, I won, what, $1,500 that weekend. Nice, nice. Wow. Roulette is actually been very good to the USCfootball.com staff because – I've been with Ryan and he likes to gamble and uh, he's come up pretty big with uh, roulette. You know, I, I don't think that much. I think we, you know, like $800, $900 here and there. But um, yeah, the roulette reel is, is 
probably one of the ways to go. I mean, you know, with me in Vegas, it's about like when I hear Dana White wins, you know, something like $7 million or whatever, and then he gets banned by every hotel and on the strip. It's like, really? I mean, because you're playing blackjack and, and they just don't like you winning. That tells me that that's not a fair proposition. Basically, sure. you're paying to be entertained. You're not paying to win money. You're being paid to be entertained. And uh, if you're not entertained by losing, then too bad because the, the hotel is always going to make it back. So, yeah, I, I just I don't I don't I feel like it's a bad investment. But um, but yeah, they, they uh, can take awesome. seven. They can points. take seven million dollars of your money. But when you take it, you're banned. When you make. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Oh, they'll take more than seven million dollars. Yeah, <laughs> that's uh, there's a there's a. There's a YouTube clip of him um, talking to the hotels and each one of them calling him and banning him. And this happened. This was like. You know, I say $7 million. I, I can't remember if that's the actual amount, but it was over the course of like years, I think. But he got on a hot streak at, at one point and it, yeah, they just started saying, you can't come back here. And I guess probably because they think he's counting cards, which in and of itself, I think is, hey, if the game can be uh, can be beaten that easily, then don't play that game. In my sure, opinion. sure. Well, you hear that, Vegas? That, Gerard, Hurricane. Don't get the hurricane mad. And I'm terrified when USC does make it to the Pac-12 championship in Vegas. And obviously, I'm going to go. Maybe Gerard. Maybe you will go. And maybe we can play some no, uh, blackjack. No. Nope. Okay. I tried. I pushed. I pushed. Vegas, and, uh, Vegas is not a drop like that. Like, for, for Ryan, it is. And for other people, it is. I, it's, uh, it's, I, I mean, it's nice. I Don't get me wrong. I, I, I spent time in Vegas and had a good time. But, yeah, the gambling thing isn't really uh, – my my cup of tea. So well, shotgun. I, I like to definitely in my pocket. Shotgun would definitely be at that table with us. But we could have done like a whole USCFootball.com table. Now you you what you did mention you know reining you in at this point uh, from your uh, your riches. Um, Nelson versus Nico Ayamaleva. Now it seemed to me just you know following from afar versus you know through social media, everyone's favorite app Twitter where everybody on there is a real person. Um, we got the sense that, you know, Melkai Nelson was, was, was not a guy people were really talking up. Everybody wanted to talk about Nico. He's the top performer from Friday night, heard a lot about these other quarterbacks, but Nelson ends up winning the championship. Um, mm-hmm. Isn't winning what it's all about. Like what was your opinion of his performance uh, versus some of those other quarterbacks that were being talked up so much? Yeah, I mean, I think just overall, I think it was sort of like an up and down performance. It being that first day, he he looked really, really good, you know, throwing to those guys. And then day day two kind of stumbled, you know, going against that Team Toa team that kind of, you know, surprised a lot of people and pulled that upset against what was considered the favorite of that field. And I think that kind of, uh, you know, knocked them off a little bit, got their confidence down. But then they kind of came back over the next couple of days with a vengeance and kind of obviously stormed that championship. So I think in sort of losing that game, it sort of, you know, motivated everyone on that team, Nelson included to kind of bounce back and kind of, they kind of used that to, you know, power through, through the rest of the weekend. So I would say overall it was a, uh, you know, up and down performance for him, that down being that, that head to head with Toa, that team Toa and, you know, not being able to hit receivers down the field and, but eventually, you know, that, like I said, he kind of used that and they used that to fuel themselves to a championship, which, as you said, it is. That's what it's all about, you know, kind of. And you hope that's what you kind of see out of him, you know, on the 
on the real football field is sort of, you know, you could take handle some adversity and then come back, you know, twice as strong and kind of uh, have a bad have a bad half or a bad quarter and you kind of bounce back and close out strong. So I think that's kind of what we saw out of Malachi or what I saw out of Malachi Nelson. Yeah, I, I saw one of the criticisms written was that he forced the ball downfield too much maybe and didn't take some of the underneath stuff. Yeah. Did you I mean, feel when you, like when you, yeah, I, I felt like when you when you have receivers like Carnell Tate and kind of Brandon Innes, it seemed like definitely in that that game he was just looking for that big play to kind of catch up, and I think he was definitely forcing the deep shot instead of maybe going underneath and sort of picking him apart that way because they were they were you know they were they were down big, so he had to try to put it on his shoulder, put it on his arm to kind of get them back in with a couple big plays, but just. Like I said, throwing it out of the back of the end zone wasn't really going there. But when he was in a groove, he was, you know, looking for Brandon underneath and sort of uh, picking them apart that way. So definitely felt like he was kind of forcing for that, felt forcing and sort of overly looking for that big play when they were down. Now, when we saw them at Pylon, he was rotating with another quarterback that was the real South Florida quarterback, basically. That real um, South quarterback was there. Yes, yes. And so, so was he rotating again with that with that with that quarterback? I don't even know his name. He's called the real South Court South Florida quarterback. That's, that's what we're referring to. Is, <laughs> the 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 local you know kid that had been there, and, and and you know it's one of those things where it's like, you know, that kid has has been the South Florida quarterback probably the last two years, and then there's like Malachi Nelson that just sort of like, hey, I want to play with you guys. And that like, uh, that. That kid's dad is a real estate guy in South Florida or somewhere, and that's sort of he's footing the bill for South Florida. You know that's the case. You know I'm not I'm not casting those dispersions, and maybe okay. he's just you know a really good player. I don't know. I, I just know that I don't know him. USC's never recruited him, and I I don't believe he's a top rated guy. But he rotates with Malachi, and I know with the Pylon tournament that was kind of an issue. Like you were you were you were taking some series off. Because you did have Malachi Nelson in there. And quarterback, you you kind of touched on it. Rhythm is such a huge, important thing. And when you go a series and then you're pulled a series, and you go a series and you're pulled a series, it's hard to get into a good rhythm. So I kind of wondered if if that was going on. I mean, that probably wasn't going on with Team Toa. Once Nico got there, his brother was sitting. His brother was snapping him the ball. He wasn't rotating a whole bunch with Nico unless they were probably up. And that probably was the case with some of those other quarterbacks on those teams where you have a top guy, that's your guy you go with. There's not a lot of rotation there. Yeah, definitely in sort of like, I don't want to say like the lesser games, but like maybe the games that didn't have as much like, like if they were playing on field three or whatever, where it wasn't sort of a marquee matchup, they were definitely rotating. But like the Team Toa game, it was straight Malachi the whole time. Okay. So okay. Yeah, so I guess they felt in that moment it's got to be Malachi this whole time. So, But they rotated that for the majority of their, their games. But for that one, it was definitely all Malachi. Yeah. I mean, a team that is as stacked as that team, it's funny because, you know, that's, that's, that's what you kind of need. You need an early loss to get you focused because you're stacked and you start beating teams and you start getting bored. And then you, you do drop that game because you're bored and you're out of sync. And it's a game that actually means something. You see that happen all the time. Like I've been a part of teams like that where it's like you're just you're good and, and you know you're good and you just drop games because you just lose interest. Shoot, USC has been guilty of that on the field. I mean, there's been a couple seasons there where even under Clay Helton, there were 
teams that they played against and they play down to their competition, constantly play down to their competition. And then they play up to their competition just as well. You know, I mean, go back to that Penn State game at the Rose Bowl where they're blowing Penn State out. And then they just got bored. You could just see it. You could see they were done. The game was over. These guys were thinking about, you know, what am I going to do after the game? And all of a sudden Penn State comes back. And now you're in a dogfight. And uh, that happens with super talented teams. That's where elite coaching comes in. Everybody talks about, hey, you know, trying to rebuild. You get a guy like Steve Sarkeesian that rebuilds Washington, but is that same guy the guy that can keep a good team focused? Once you got to that 7-8 wins, can you now take it to the next level and keep that team focused? That's what Pete Carroll was so good at. Pete Carroll rebuilt USC, but he was also able to keep super talented teams focused most of the time. I mean, they did drop their games, uh, but, you know, what are you going to say when, you know, you're still winning 11 games almost every season? Uh, you're going to have games where you just, you know, either it's a bad matchup or you just drop a game because, you know, you weren't prepared. Uh, but he did a really good job of still keeping them up uh, for, for the majority of the games to get in the position to, to compete for national champions year in and year out. But that's where you got to give a nod of the cap to, you know, Nick Saban, because, I mean, he's got those stacked teams and they still seem to be able to, uh, to, to stay consistent. You know, consistency is really tough when you've got so many guys and you've got so many egos and, uh, you just you just have that sort of, you know, we don't really need to try as hard because we're so much more talented and better than this next team. Anything else you want to ask me about Vegas before I get to put you under the the spotlight? No, no, I think we can move on to uh, the elite camp at USC. Yeah, so while I was melting in the heat on Saturday, you were back out at USC. Obviously, we hit up the first rising stars out of a first rising stars camp for Lincoln Riley and you and Ryan. And I believe Jarrett, our intern was there for the first elite camp under Lincoln Riley. So right away, you know, I, I remember what the check-in was like for the, for that first rising stars. What was check-in like for this elite camp? Much quieter. I mean, obviously you're talking about 60, maybe 70 players were there, you know, didn't do a head count, but it, it was, uh, I think 400-ish for the Rising Stars camp. So it was much smaller, uh, much quieter. Um, but, uh, you know, certainly the guy that we saw early on, which we're like, okay, this is going to be cool to see him, is Dylan Williams, the Long Beach Poly 2024 linebacker commit. And so he was sort of the, the top guy there. There was mostly underclassmen. Uh, they did have a couple of 2023 class guys, but – this was really revolving around uh, underclassmen for the most part. And did anyone jump out to you? Obviously, Dylan Williams was there, the USC linebacker commit. But did anyone jump out like some people jumped out to us when we were kind of watching check-in? You know, one of the guys that, that jumped out was Trinidad Wilson, who's a 6'5", 330-pound defensive tackle from Diamond Ranch High School in Pomona. And... Um, Kind of from afar, you know, because we're on the other side of the field and watching defensive line go through their drills. He, he's a big body, um, and he just was really agile. He had good feet, and it's the type of guy that you kind of look at and you go, all right, you know, he's far from being a finished product, but don't get a lot of 6'5", 330 guys that come through and can move. And so I was a little surprised. I thought maybe he might get a scholarship offer after the camp. Uh, to my knowledge, he has not gotten a scholarship offer. Uh, there were a few scholarship offers that were given out. Um, It wasn't a a super well-attended camp in terms of star power. 
Um, we saw that with rising stars. And with this camp, there wasn't a huge pull of like top 2024 guys. I mean, Dylan Williams was definitely the best uh, in regards to ranking. Um, a lot of the local guys were not there. We knew there wasn't going to be a lot of top 2024 guys just because of the time of year at this point with official visits. And there's other events going on that revolve around high school football teams. You're not going to see a bunch of those 2024 guys. But for 2020, or excuse me, 2023, but for 2024, 2025, even going into 2026, uh, thought there would be maybe better attendance than there was. Um, I don't know if that's just a sign of the times where with NIL, every kid thinks the next kid is getting paid to go somewhere and, you know, everybody's getting a swag bag of something. You talked about the overtime event, the overtime event. I think they flew those guys in there and they were giving them a bunch of free stuff. So that's like an enticement, you know, to come and do the event. Whereas some of these college events, you actually have to pay to go there. You know, I think you have to pay $50 to go to the elite event. Uh, you have to pay something like $200 to go to rising stars. So it's a little different in terms of recruiting guys to go to those events. But I mean, USC has got to get those guys on campus because it's a recruiting event, uh, you know, above all else, it's an opportunity to evaluate, but it's also an opportunity to create a bond with those kids. You know, Dylan Williams talked a lot about getting a bond for Brian Odom. He wasn't going to go to the event. Uh, Dylan Williams decided like an hour or two beforehand talking to Dante Williams that he should go down and at least just hang out because it would be an opportunity for him to chop it up a little bit with Brian Odom. And he decided as they were at registration, screw it. I got my cleats. I'm going to, I'm going to run around and I'm going to do some stuff. So he wasn't going to do one-on-ones. He wasn't going to do testing. I think he ended up doing everything. And he spent a lot of time sidebarring with Brian Odom and talking just, you know, technique and, and what he was doing right and what he was doing wrong in those drills. And it was a, a really good experience for him. And I think it helped Brian Odom a lot recruiting him. And so you want to have that opportunity with all those other top players, uh, specifically in California for an event like that. And so USC's got to continue to grind and get those guys on campus for these camps coming up. Just overall, what did you what did you see from Dylan Williams? Just you know, going out there, and you put a, and you did put up a, some ISO film that you can see up right now on USCFootball.com for free. And I know that that was that was probably a struggle for you because you did have an issue with your your camera footage. Oh yeah, that card corrupted, and it was like I don't even want to get into what I had to do to try to find a workaround to get those clips. I was I was kind of surprised I was able to get anything from it. So yeah, I, I you made it work though. I made, I made it work. work. I got. I ended up getting like four minutes, which was surprising because I, I I didn't get a bunch of clips off of it. But nevertheless, I mean, you saw a, a lanky, a raw athlete out there that you know hadn't done a lot of football drills uh, this past year. You know, he said you know with spring ball, it was a lot of just like going over football and not necessarily a lot of cone drills and field work. And so he's been running track um, the past few months. He's been running the three hundred meter hurdles and the one ten hurdles. So this was like his first time out there and he was nervous about it. He, he was candid about being nervous, how he would look in front of the coaches. But he was like, you know, I'm going to commit. So I'm just going to go out there and I'm going to, you know, they know my abilities. They know what I can do on film, obviously. And so he went out there and I think he performed well, but he was raw and he was kind of shaking off the rust to some extent. Um, but uh, I think, yeah, you know, in terms of like the length and the size and everything, you can kind of see where USC is going at the linebacker position. You know, they want him to play well. Uh, as opposed to playing on the outside or the edge. And I think any guy you're going to see USC being rec recruiting, that's anywhere below 6'3". I, I think 6'3 and below, you're, you're looking at a guy that's eventually going to have to play 
off the line of scrimmage. I think in that defense, the guys that are playing the line of scrimmage that are going to be linebacker defensive end types are going to be in that 6'4", 6'5", range. So he's going to play Will, weak side linebacker, uh, next to the mic. And I think, um, you know, he was working on a lot of things that are really weaknesses at this point. You know, you don't get to see a lot of that uh, at the high school level uh, when you're a guy like Dylan Williams, when they can put you off the edge, you can be a pass rusher. You know, so he, I, a majority of his time, he's played a lot of Sam. Um, he's played very little Will. And so he was playing off the line of scrimmage in space. And that's just the difficult thing. You got to get used to doing that. Your eyes, your discipline, and just in terms of your movement and and how you're playing, it's all a little different. When you play off the line of scrimmage, man, and you've been playing on the line of scrimmage most of your career. And I, and I did that in high school where I was playing in a 3-4 and I was playing outside. And I played outside, Pop Warner played outside on the line of scrimmage, like throughout my football career. And it just, I don't know, you got a guy in front of you and it's just like you're reading your keys right in front of you. You just kind of know what to expect and, and how to feel out the position and what they're trying to do on the edge and containment wise. If you come off that line of scrimmage, man, it's like no man's land. I played in a 4-4 uh, junior year and I was like, God, this is like, I might as well be playing safety at this point. Like You just feel... <laughs> so removed from everything that's happening. You don't have a body in front of you. You're not attacking somebody at the line of scrimmage immediately. It's just so much different. So Hurricane did like playing off the ball, off the I line. I did. I was, I was small-ish, but I actually liked playing uh, yeah, right off the ball, like right off the line of scrimmage and just, you know, knowing my keys right off the line of scrimmage as opposed to – I always feel like off the line of scrimmage is a little more read and react uh, than attack. I was actually the the opposite. I started out as outside linebacker, and then I got moved to defensive end, which I did like a lot because it was, like you said, it's just like I know who I'm going up against, and my only real job was, you know, obviously contain when I had to, but get after that quarterback. Yeah, you don't have to keep your head on a swivel quite as much. Mm -hmm. Um, You do have to watch for that crackback block, which, you know, you get those a couple times in your career, and it sucks, but – yeah, you just you just have somebody in front of you and you just be able to negotiate. And I don't know. I just I, I'd always done that. And again, that spin move was where the hurricane thing came from my coaches. So that just uh, that that was weird playing in a four four. And I know Dylan watched them out there it was the same thing for him where, you know, he's played some off the line of scrimmage and he's obviously a, a way better athlete than I ever was in high school. So he can get away with it. But in terms of the eye discipline and just the feel of you know, playing a space, it's it's a little different. You know, you you do have to get used to that. And he was getting used to that uh, Saturday when we saw him down there at USC. And I guess the other final kind of takeaway from this camp was that USC did end up dishing out a bunch of uh, a bunch of offers off off uh, guys that were there. They did offer scholarships to to quite a few guys. Unfortunately, we didn't get to see a lot from them in drills because they were with Dante Williams for the most part. And I think the defensive backs had gone over to Dado Field. So you have the offensive line uh, at Cromwell, and then you have the majority of the skill players on Howard Jones and Kennedy. And then the defensive backs had gone over there. So uh, there was a few guys that showed up from modern day, and we knew that they were probably going to be pretty good players. Um, We didn't get to eyeball a lot of them. Uh, Jelani Davis, 2024 safety uh, from modern day, got a scholarship offer. The 225 cornerback from modern day, Chuck McDonald. We did, I did get to see a little bit of him, particularly in testing. Lanky got a lot of got a lot of length to him um, as a young kid, 2025. So he's a rising sophomore. Uh, he's a good looking player. I, I like him, and uh, they offered him a scholarship. They offered uh, Nazir Wyatt, who was a playing linebacker. I think he played mostly. Um, kind of like a hybrid position with Roy Manning. I don't know where those guys were. I think they were over there with the defensive line, but I kind of didn't 
really watch them very much. But he's a kid that's already got some scholarship offers from that 22, uh, uh, 2025 class. So I think USC was like, hey, you know, we need to kind of get in the game here for a little bit. But I, I didn't really get to see a lot of him. And they also offered 2026 cornerback Tay Lockett as well. So there's one of those things where Dante Williams, I mean, he gets guys to camps. He gets guys to visits. He's always cultivating good options. I mean, that's just the word that I always use with him. And it's good elite, good elite recruiters do that. They get guys in front of them that are top-rated guys that they can recruit. And that's the thing that, you know, you want to see from the rest of the coaching staff, getting guys on campus that you can offer, you know. And so uh, Dante Williams did that, and he got some guys, and he's working on some guys. And you know that, you know, in a couple of years from now, those guys are going to be guys that are going to be probably high on USC. And with that, is there anything else you would like to add on this elite camp? Because we do got a couple more camps to hit up by the end of this month. We do. And and this was sort of – I don't know if it was last minute on USC's itinerary, but it was kind of last minute, it seemed, to some of the kids that we talked to. And it was last minute for us. You know, it was like a week before, I think, that we heard about it. And so, um, you know, they had a couple quarterbacks there that USC could end up offering. Miles Jackson, uh, one guy that you, you know, have been very high on and you watched a little bit. Um, he looked pretty good from listening to Ryan Abraham talk, had, had a big arm and, and kind of uh, stood out uh, that from that perspective from some of the other players there. Uh, it's definitely been, you know, past couple camps, very quarterback driven. You know, a lot of guys want to come and throw the ball in, fr- in front of Lincoln Riley. Um, so I'm excited to see, you know, the real 2023 elite camp. Um, they're going to have a seven on there. Uh, they're going to have a lineman camp and a skills camp. So there's going to be a bunch of other events where they're going to have players on campus and uh, we'll just kind of see what the talent pool looks like. And that we will, and shotgun's going to come out. So we got a, we got a full, full uh, staff on deck to help with those camps. So stay tuned for that and stay tuned for everything else we got coming up on uscfootball.com. Gerard, we have reached the end of sort of our topics. We do have three listener questions. Are you ready to knock these out before we wrap this thing up? Yes, we can. Move on from the rambling of uh, all the various different topics that we've gone through and breaking news in the middle of the podcast. Um, and, uh, yeah, let's see what uh, what the peristyle has to say. OK, this one comes from uh, Tom, who is Trojan for life on the P. Dear Hurricane and 10K, I know you pride yourselves on being objective journalists, i.e. not fans. But do you think you ever inadvertently play a role in a player's feelings towards USC as a whole? Though I don't ever see you doing this, but as an extreme example, if a journalist covering School X for a website is complete a-hole to a recruit, I imagine it would leave a bad taste in the recruit's mouth about School X. So more applicable to you two, does having an especially good journalistic relationship with a recruit reflect well on USC as a football program? Thanks. That's actually a – that's an interesting question and sort of one of those sort of overarching uh, questions about the – the business. I mean, I would say that anytime you're a jerk to recruit, which we aren't, uh, at least we aren't, uh, I think it would sort of maybe maybe put a uh, put the school in a bad light because their name is sort of associated with covering USC. I don't think it's like that much unless you were like a super, super big uh, quote, quote unquote, a hole to a recruit, but again, a US a kid's not making a decision based off of uh, 
uh, a journalist, more so the coaches and the school and the academics. Uh, Gerard, what say you? I do keep that in the back of my mind. And I do think I might have mentioned this in the past. I think being from uscfootball.com, there is some reflection on USC. We're not associated with USC. I don't work for USC. I make that very clear when I talk to recruits. Um, I've had, you know, like parents be confused by that and, you know, had to be very clear as, you know, I'm a recruiting analyst. I work for 24-7 sports. USCfootball.com is part of 24-7 sports, which is a network of sites. Uh, But I think, yeah, you know, there's there is probably with some recruits that thought of, oh, yeah, if, if they have a bad encounter or impression of some of the media that cover USC, that maybe it reflects badly on USC to some extent. Um, I, I, I agree with you when it comes down to it and you're making the decision, that's not one of the factors, uh, but I think it is, you know, just in terms of, you know, first impression or what have you sometimes, you know, I might have a relationship with a recruit before a coach at USC has a relationship with that recruit. Um, so, yeah, I think that there's potentially a little bit of that that goes on and I I'm cognizant of it. I, I, I don't want to make the job of anybody that's actually recruiting at USC harder. You know, I, I don't, I don't want to do that. I, I don't want to uh, become a, a, a thorn in anybody's side by my, my reporting. Um, but at the same time, you know, we have to be objective and we have to do our jobs. And sometimes that means being critical. Um, so that is what it is. And, uh, you know, we, we try to uh, do our job as best as possible, but um, I think you'd be naive not to get a sense for that and, and, and acknowledge that to some extent. Uh, but, you know, we're not running around in like USC gear. Um, we don't use USC in the first person because we're not a part of USC. We don't work for USC. Uh, USC puts together a great recruiting class. I had nothing to do with that. USC puts together a terrible recruiting class. I had nothing to do with that. It's, it's just, it, it, that's just the way it is. We don't help them win games. We don't help them build recruiting classes. Uh, we're not a part of the recruiting process. We're there to cover the recruiting process. And, and that's just the simple end of it. And just as like an extreme example, because th- there was a situation where I'm not going to name names of the recruits thing, but if you recall, USC fans, there was a journalist who sort of, ruined a USC prospects commitment and that commitment and that player ended up still committing to USC. They ended up committing elsewhere too, but they eventually made it back to USC, but there was a quote unquote, a hole prospect or journalist, sorry, that, uh, that did do something, you know, really negative towards, you know, covering USC and, and that kind of stuff, but they still ended up picking USC in the end. So, I mean, that's just like a, a an example of the, uh, Tom's question. Moving on. Hi, Chris and Gerald. I'm very high on Tacky Curtis. Can you give us a small tidbit slash percentage on our real chances with him? We also have a couple of offensive linemen visit USC the past week. Can you give us a small tidbit on Spencer Fano, Caleb Lomu, and Tobias Raymond? I know the big weekend is coming up. We're all excited. I'm very curious how they will handle the kind of number of recruits on in one weekend. Do you think we will have multiple commits that weekend? I mean, during the actual visit, a la, I mean, during the actual visit, a la Oklahoma barbecue during Caleb's class. Thank you so much. Trojan Sagey? Say, uh, Trojan Sage? I don't know. I'm sorry if I butchered that. I'm, uh, I'm at the end of a two and a half hour podcast. 
But Gerard, lots to go in there. I guess I will start sort of with the tech at Curtis. Am I the best person to give a percentage on a on a player that I am very optimistic about? Probably. I think USC is in the final two. So, you know, I'm right at like 55%. And I know you're rolling your eyes, Gerard. And I know some fans are like, he's too optimistic. I know some fans are excited that I said that, but... You know, you uh, Tackett loves L.A. They hit a home run in terms of their strength and conditioning development um, presentation. It was better than they, they expected. Brian Odom has been relentless. Alex Grinch has been relentless. Lincoln Riley has been relentless. They're doing everything they need to do to land this commitment. They just need to get past this Ohio State visit coming up and then – all the chips are going to be on the table, and they're going to see what what happens in July. I still like USC to be at least in that finalist category, along with one other school. And, you know, again, I'm going 55. And I know Gerard probably going to be angry with me. If he eliminates Ohio State after the visit, then I would be right there with you. Oh, you're right there with me? Okay. But – Okay. Until that happens, I'm going to say 40, 60, 60% Ohio State, 40% USC. Okay, that's fair. And then in terms of the linemen, Spencer Fano, yeah, Spencer took a sort of, not surprise, but we didn't really hear much about USC recruiting Spencer Fano, and then he was on campus for an uh, unofficial visit. You know, I think that counts for, for Gerard. I think that would count as sort of maybe attraction visits. On a yes, exactly. Feel, that's what I was going to say. Feel out the new staff, feel out Josh Henson. You know, they're probably reevaluating all their prospects and looking at Fano, West Coast kid, uh, Utah kid, right? Utah? Yes. Utah kid. And it's like, you know, let's circle back. Let's get him on campus. He's a, he's a high-end four-star. Let's, let's, let's see what it's all about. Let's get him in person. And then like we mentioned with Caleb Lomu, that's another guy that they've, you know, reevaluated, moved down their board and made some new offers. And he's a guy that I expect to official visit. Uh, he's he's taken some official visits this month, so USC is going to have to squeeze him in. But per Blair Gulo, you know, he is expected to visit USC. So that's a good sign getting another uh, four-star offensive lineman on campus. And then Tobias Raymond, well, I got to go 100% that he's going to commit. Going to go out on the limb and say go out on the limb. 99%. And finally, the big weekend – I'm very curious how they would handle that kind of number of recruits. It all comes down to the uh, the carts, uh, Trojan State. <laughs> yeah. It all cards. comes down to the carts. If the carts are faulty, then it's a no-go. You know, that'd be like a really, like, like a sabotage thing if, like, uh, a UCLA support staff just came and, like. Don't give anybody any ideas. Just cut all the. Blast you know, the, the tires. Well, that's yeah. what I'm saying. You got to have somebody. Like I'm, I'm being serious as far as like make sure the 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 mechanic or the maintenance guy who's in control or has some type of idea as to how those carts work is around. Like you know have the the cart manufacturers on speed dial for that weekend. That would just be a random thing. Now the good thing for USC is that the campus is not actually that big, right? I mean you can jump into a car and go over to the Coliseum. That's not Use that those big bird deal. scooters. Yeah, I don't think anybody's <laughs> mom wants to be jumping on those. But, um, yeah, I mean, but, you know, with a lot of schools, like if you think about Cal, Cal's campus is huge. Like people oh, don't yeah. know that. Like their quad oh, yeah. is gigantic. 
I mean, trying to get from one end to the other, Washington, Texas, there's a lot of schools where their campuses are just huge to get to one building or the other. That's not really that true, USC. Certainly, it becomes a much more efficient visit when you're able to jump in to a cart and just drive over to the library or or, or what have you. But um, nevertheless, yeah, that's just uh, <laughs> how the carts go will be uh, how the weekend goes. I, I don't have a, a, a num- a, a, an actual answer for you. I mean, we don't know how it's going to go. That's We kind of have to see after – the week you know we're not given an itinerary and uh we're not allowed to, to to be around and nor do i really want to be around you know that's usc's time to host these visits and do their thing and they don't need you know paparazzi hanging around um trying to you know gleam information off of coaches and kids as they're on campus officially so uh we'll see how they're able to handle that number it's it's a big number and there's a lot of stuff going on uh again salute to troy saturday so We'll see, you know, how it all shakes out and, um, you know, if it's uh, ultimately successful and they're able to get into that 50% ratio, uh, then it's, you know, it worked out. And, and I'm sure we'll hear more about it and more of the approach, you know, as we talk to those kids after the visit and, and how things were organized. And I will say that, and I will go out and say that there will be multiple commitments this weekend. I think it's too big. USC has been preparing for this. So much going on. I I can't imagine not getting multiple commitments this weekend. Yeah, if they don't get multiple commitments, then uh, something went horribly wrong. The, the, car, the carts went wrong. If the they car, don't, the carts the went carts wrong. The carts let us down. Yeah, the carts let us down. And what about gas prices? I mean, what, you know, got to think about that too. Shoot, man. What does it cost to fill up a, a go-kart? 20 cents? How much could it cost? <laughs> not Not in these days. Not cost and nothing costs twenty. Nothing costs twenty cents these days. Is you is, is there anything at a liquor store that you've ever gone to in the last five years that's cost twenty cents? Like I can't think of anything. What do those little big lighters cost? Like a buck. Oh, those they? those are like yeah, at least a dollar. Yeah. So I I literally like I can remember as a kid going to the ice cream man and the ice cream truck coming down the street, and there was like you could get gum. I I, I want to say you could get gum for a dime. Like there was probably like some real cheap ass gum that you get for a dime. I don't even know if that exists anymore. I mean, the take a penny, leave a penny. There you go. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, final question comes from D from Central Valley, who is probably our question leader for this podcast. So thank you, D. Uh, how much do you guys think NIL is going to play a part in the commitment of Francis Maoyoga? And second question, of the four official visits last weekend, do you think USC gets commitments of two of the four or three of the four? Note, two-star podcast hats and shirts would be cool. Uh, thank you, D. So let's start with the easy one. And they've already at 204. And me being a Tackett Curtis optimist, I think you could look back and they could get three of the four. Yes, I think it's definitely possible. Um, I don't know. Do you want to name names here as to who we're talking about, as to who would be the two of the four? Well, they've already got two of the four. Oh, wait, we're talking about la- – okay, yeah, so la- yeah. I was still thinking about the last question of multiple commitments we, from this – We already coming- know the answers. We already know the yes. answers. Okay, yes. So that's that's the easy one. The the, the more nuanced question is probably Francis Mayogoa and the NLI and how much of a part that will play. I, I mean, we've heard that it won't play a big part and that it's more about NFL development and getting the NFL, but we've heard that before. I think it's a big part. I think it's definitely something that he wants to have a presentation. You have to relate it. You have to reference it so it makes sense to him. Listen, this is what we can do for you right now. Like, mm-hmm. you want to get to the NFL. You want to get that big contract. That's going to be bigger than any NIL contract that you're going to get. 
However, we could potentially have your family living here in L.A. with the right NIL deal. That's a big deal there to bring his family, even from, you know, even maybe extended family from Samoa or, or something like that. I mean, you know, Alabama is pitching that Alabama has had families move from L.A. to Tuscaloosa. Uh, several times in several instances. Okay. So they're notorious for that. So they're pitching that. And how are you going to pitch that if you're USC? Well, you're not, you're not going to do it through any collective. You got to do it through an NIL and you have to have somebody that's going to step up and say, you know what? We think you're a future first rounder as a left tackle, right? The next penisul. So we're going to put that on the table and we're going to bring you in and you're going to be a marquee guy and you're going to have a sponsorship from beats from whoever and that money is going to be better and it's going to be something that we're going to put professionals in front of you not you know jim bob and some guy in the back alley of you know the the lawnmower store who's you know i got fifty thousand i could put in we're going to have real companies that are going to step up and be companies that you're not only going to work with right now while you're in college but companies you can work with after college when you have your nfl contract and so that's what USC has to pitch. That's what USC has to lay out in front of top recruits that are legitimate NIL prospects. Now, not everybody on that visit is going to be a legitimate NIL prospect coming out of high school. But for those few that are, that's what you got to sell. You know, professional companies, corporations that you want to do business with. Listen, that's what Oregon did with Josh Connerly. They did the Nike thing. They did that on his official visit. That was... What we saw from the photos and everything was Nike, Nike, Nike. So it's not like just a group of some, you know, donors or some people that you've never heard about, you know, giving you giving you money. It's an actual corporation and a sponsorship that will exist after you leave that school. That money's not going to exist uh, from a collective after you leave that school, you know. And, and who knows if it would exist if you got hurt? Like, there's a lot of question marks with the collectives and the donors and. You know, how on the level is this stuff? There's a lot of vagaries there that go on. And so when you're dealing with an actual company that's a professional company, that, that's a 500 fortune company that does business, you know, day in, day out uh, on the books, then there's a lot more security there for your future. And so that's that's the angle that USC has to take. And I would not say that NIL is going to be a small part of that. Is it going to be a significant other things? I, you know, that's hard to tell. Um, I think the families, and I talked about this before, play down NIL as much as possible. They don't want to be seen as being money hungry. So you're never going to get the full story on, you know, how much did NIL play a factor in your recruitment? Because we've already heard some pretty big numbers thrown out there for some of these prospects. And then the story comes out afterward. Oh, no, no, it wasn't that big a deal. It wasn't that big a deal. Yeah, come on. That, it, it, was, it was definitely influential over your decision. Look, I'll say you made all the right points is that if you got a five star in front of your name, NIL is going to be a factor for you. There's just too many people out there, too many big time programs coming after you for it to not be a factor and, you know, throwing out money that can help your family for, for whatever situation you're in. So NIL always has to be considered in the equation for these these big time guys like Francis is being a number one overall prospect. Yeah, and, and that's the type of guy where USC can be competitive. I mean, we've seen yeah. them be competitive on the transfer market because 
these are proven commodities. And we talked about this before. Companies are willing to invest in proven commodities. The high school kids is a little more shaky. There's a lot less known about them personality-wise. There's less known about them talent-wise. You know, the difference between a guy like Jordan Addison and Caleb Williams and a high school player that's just, you know, it's like a four-star guy, completely different. I mean, we're talking about apples and oranges when you're, when you're apple, kind of a joke there, um, when you're beets, when you're Nike, when you're muscle milk, when, when you, whatever company you are, you know, thebobblehead.com. Uh, I mean, anybody that is looking at this and it's their money they're putting into it, they're saying, I want the proven commodity. I want the guy that's going to have the jersey sales. I want the guy that people can recognize by face. That's what's going to move my product. That's what's going to sell my service. So it's really those upper echelon type of players. And if you're a left tackle, if you're a quarterback, if you're a star wide receiver or star running back and you're a five-star guy, or even I think, you know, just top 100, I think those are the guys where USC could be competitive because they have that market where they can actually sell real brands to those players, as opposed to where you get to the deeper part of the class. And that's where the boosters and the donors are more invested in, hey, you know what? We just want to throw money at the problem. <laughs> we can't get, we, we got to get this guy on campus. We got to get this guy committed. Let's pull our money and let's, let's entice them and try to get them to campus. And that's been going on for decades. That's been going on for a long time. It's a little more above the table now. But the interesting thing about it is maybe, you know, some people are showing their cards and they shouldn't be showing their cards. You know, some people are throwing money on the table and now it's above the table and it's still not legal. So we'll see how that all shakes out. Like we said at the top of the program, you know, Miami is being investigated now for their collectives and, and their interaction of boosters with recruits. You're not supposed to have inducement. You know, that at the end of the day, there's not supposed to be these arranged deals that happen through the school where, hey, you come here, we're going to give you this much money. These kids are supposed to go to the school because they have the opportunity to make that money off of their name, image, and likeness. They're not going to a school because they're being paid to go to that school. That's the difference. That's that's illegal. That's not supposed to be happening. And clearly, there seems to be some indication that that is happening. I have nothing to add to that because you killed it as always. And it would be a mic drop, but the microphone is not actually being held. I can't so. drop it. It's <laughs> we've been on this. We've been on this call. I'm not saying this is the recorded portion, but we've been on this call for three, close to three and a half hours. So I think it's time we wrap this up. If you want to send a question in for us to answer for next time, you know, you can email us at podcast at uscfootball.com. Make sure you put the composite, the Latino guys, Hurricane and 10K, whatever you want. Just make sure it is addressed to us and it'll get to us for our next show. So, Gerard, we've talked about a lot. And is there anything else you want to add before we walk into the biggest USC recruiting weekend in program history? Buckle up. Be excited. Um, you know, hopefully there is news coming out of the weekend to be excited about. Um, now, again, don't expect, you know, all these commitments to just come Sunday night <laughs> or Monday morning. You know, we saw the two commits come, uh, you know, pretty quickly after this June 10th official visit weekend with Grant Bucky committing today, uh, which is uh, Wednesday when we recorded the podcast and uh, Tobias Raymond committing uh, earlier. So, 
may not happen that way. You've got kids that, uh, you know, they have a lot more colleges uh, coming at them and they have official visits already scheduled to other programs. Uh, but we'll see how everything shakes out. And hopefully USC, they use this weekend to get that momentum. It's sort of, you know, commits, creating more commits is, is I think what they want. They want it to snowball a little bit. And uh, we'll see if uh, the strategy works out or maybe it doesn't. And we sort of go through it and at that point talk about how the season um, has to kind of get them back into it with maybe some of these other guys that they miss on. So it'll be interesting. Uh, it's not all going to be, uh, you know, within uh, the next week, we're not going to know everything, but it's still going to be exciting to kind of see, maybe get some more clarity just in terms of where USC sits with some of these players um, and uh, what the class potentially can look like coming out of the summer and uh, getting into the season, which I think, you know, everybody's excited about. Everybody is looking forward to the season. And I think that's the one thing that's come from the recent commits. They talked about the culture. Uh, Grant Bucky spoke specifically with me about the culture and that sort of being what was uh, maybe the defining factor for him in his recruitment and why he chose USC. And that comes from watching the spring uh, practices. And that comes from being around the players and being around the coaches. This official visit for him, uh, he wanted to, you know, kind of dot his I's and cross his T's by being around the players and, and kind of getting a sense for them. And so uh, he got that this past weekend and uh, he committed. So that's what USC wants to see out of some of their other targets. Okay. And with that, that put us over three hours? Are we over three hours now? I have to add it all up because we had this this baby in two separate uh, two separate uh, recordings. This second recording, though, was looking at it as two hours and ten minutes. So I don't know if we got there in the first one, but we're going to be close. This is definitely a record breaker. I'm going to tell you that right now. Part of our problem was probably thinking about that and not just letting it happen. So it's one of those things where we had so much to talk about. Uh, we probably rambled through some things and I know we probably didn't touch on maybe every single recruit that's going to be on campus, but my goodness, there's 25, 26 guys that are supposed to be on campus. So we didn't want to just start going through a, each individual player and what we knew about him and everything like that. Um, it's going to be one of those things where we're, we're going to let the visits sort of filter out a little bit of who are the pretenders and who yeah. are the contenders. So I'm Chris, AKA 10 K that's Gerard, AKA hurricane. Keep it locked with us on usfootball.com. We'll have updates from this weekend's visitors and then everything going on after that with camps and the the other official visit weekend. So go right now to the Peristyle. Sign up if you're not. Interact with us there. Send us questions for this podcast. Hopefully we have some merch coming soon. But again, I'm Chris. That's Gerard. And we will catch you next time. It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply.